Welcome to a special episode of Rex Factor. This time, Aragorn. With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hook. Hello! Hello! And welcome to a special episode of Rex Factor that I think Ali is absolutely wild with excitement about. I am chomping at the proverbial Goldilocks bit. What are they? Warlocks? I literally no idea. The goblin people in this. Oh, orcs. Orcs, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Goldilocks and stuff. <laughs> pretty sure that's a different universe. <laughs> So what, uh, the reason we're talking about this, of course, is that we are doing a special episode on Aragorn, who is uh, a major character featured in Tolkien's work, The Lord of the Rings. Mm. And we're doing this as a special episode because it is a birthday present. Ah! Oh. And uh, we've got a little message from uh, Andrew Ellingson and family to Sarah Conrath, and it simply says, Happy birthday to our newest Privy Councillor member, Sarah Conrath. Arise, Lady Sarah. Is it lady? Is that the opposite of... Or dame... Dame Sarah. Hmm. But happy bloomin' birthday. Now, apparently she is a big Lord of the Rings fan, mm. so uh, they requested a special episode on Lord of the Rings, yep. and we thought to keep it kind of in line with uh, what we do most of the time, we would review the king, ultimately, of uh, in Lord of the Rings, which is Aragorn. If you've never listened to Rex Factor before, what we usually do is each week we review a monarch in our first series, The Kings and Queens of England, and in our second series, The Kings and Queens of Scots. So we look at, uh, first of all, their biography, their life and reign, and then we review them by a number of different factors. My favourite being... Scandal. We also have battliness, how good they are in battle, subjectivity, which is how good... They are ruling. Would you want to be a subject yeah. of them? Uh, longevity, how long they rule for, and dynasty, how many legitimate surviving children they have. And finally, we consider whether or not they have that certain something that we call... Rex Factor. The reason that we're doing this as a free episode rather than charging for it is that we thought that actually not all of our Rex Factor listeners will necessarily be fans of Lord of the Rings. That's certainly true. Um, including one of the presenters. <laughs> but likewise, not all Lord of the Rings fans will necessarily already be listening to Rex Factor. I can't believe that's true. I mean, I imagine they're probably similar numbers. <laughs> yeah. But uh, what we thought, it might be a nice thing that for our regular listeners, you get a nice big two-and-a-half-hour dollop of uh, us doing a special episode. And if you've not heard a special episode before, then it's a chance to see yeah. a little bit of what it's like. And if you are a Lord of the Rings fan and you've not checked Rex Factor before, then uh, hopefully this could be little introduction to us, and maybe you'll listen to some of the regular episodes as well. And if you like all the warry warry smashy smashy of Rex Factor, I'll just gently nudge you in the direction of Henry II, Henry Mark V, and Edward I. Anyway, let's get on and do Aragorn. So, Aragorn is born on the 1st of March in the year 2931, in what is called the Third Age. Oh, uh, uh, um, you see, <laughs> it's started already. The ages um, that Tolkien specifies are effectively like eras of history. So if you imagine like the ed medieval period, the early modern period, uh. stuff like that, Tolkien's doing that. This is all set kind of on our Earth, but thousands of years ago in a kind of imagined past. Okay, so, so it's all, you know, as we imagine it, mountains, sea... 
yeah, water so, the business. Yeah. So he's born in what's called the Third Age in 2931. Now, uh, unfortunately, we don't have a Heritage Limited huh? playing card depiction no. of Aragorn. So, uh, Ali, could you uh, describe for the listeners how he looks on the front of this CD soundtrack cover? Uh, he looks a lot like Hollywood super hunk um, Viggo, Viggo Mortensen. <laughs> um, uh, strong of jaw, mm. long of hair. Colour of hair? Brown. Mm. Um Expression of face equals zero. Uh, Does he look cheery? No, he's always a bit gloomy, isn't he? A bit of a gloomy goose. There's a certain amount of uh, weight of the world on his shoulders aspect Mm. to Aragorn, as we shall see. Mm. In terms of his uh, appearance as described in the book, he's very tall. Yeah. About six foot six. Oh, he's not that in the films, is he? Although he's always next to those little people. The hobbits. So it's hard to say. And uh, one character does actually refer to him at one point as Longshanks. No! <laughs> oh! It, no, are we doing a bit on historical comparisons? We can make historical comparisons at any point, yeah. Sh- have I been doing a bit of service? Is he Edward I? Oh, he's too nice! I'm he sorry, Edward. is a bit too nice for us. First. It's a lovely honesty from you there. Mm. I think it merely refers to the fact that he's tall, which, to be fair, is also essentially the reason that Edward I took that. Yeah. Me. But uh, Tolkien would have... Tolkien would have definitely been aware of that. He'd have been aware of it. Yeah. Um, he's very lean, dark, with sort of grey eyes, quite a stern face. Mm. Hair sort of fleckled with grey, but otherwise sort of quite dark. Um, now, in his early years, his father, Arathorn, was killed by orcs when Aragorn was only two years old. Arathorn? His father is called Arathorn. Right. So, Aragorn, son of Arathorn. Right. Father killed by orcs, which are these sort of slightly monstrous, nasty, yeah. nasty types of people. Um, so, his mother took him to be fostered instead at a place called Rivendell. Yes, I know of, I know of that. Now, Rivendell is this sort of beautiful haven which is ruled by an ancient elf called Elrond. Is she Steve Tyler's daughter? Uh, he oh. is the father of Liv Tyler, who is Steve, Steve Tyler's, Tyler's daughter. daughter. Right. So okay. Elrond is a man. Okay, right. And uh, he rules over Rivendell. Mr. Smith. Yes. I remember him, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep yeah. go weaving, if you yeah, Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, so Elrond acts as a kind of foster father to Aragorn, and mm. as a result of Aragorn growing up among the elves, who are this sort of very they're ancient immortal, very wise, very nimble, very good at all this stuff. Aragorn has a certain amount of the wisdom that the elves have. He's got that kind of farsightedness Mm. that not all men have. Uh, So he grows up among the elves, but uh, for quite a while he doesn't actually know who he is. He's given the name of Estelle. Uh, Poor bloke. (laughs) Meaning hope. Oh. (laughs) To conceal his true identity. Because when he's 20 and a man and... Uh, oh, so, sorry to interrupt. He is a man, isn't he? He's a he human. is a man, yes. Um, he's a man, but as we shall see, he is descended from a particular special race of men. Right. As we shall see. Um, Elrond reveals to him, when he gets to 20 and he's a man and he sees, oh, he's definitely got something about him, that Aragorn is in fact the heir to Isildur, mm. who was the last high king of Arnor and Gondor. Okay. Now, at this point, it's probably useful to give you a little bit of backgroundy stuff. There is also a map that I've provided for Ali, so mm. that uh, we can check out some of these places. Got a oh, good map. I can see it. Th- this bit here. Yeah, so at the top you've got Arnor, yeah. in the north, and then in the south, mm. you've got Gondor. Oh, 
So he's got the stuff to the, um, broadly to the left of France, those mountains. Yeah, exactly. On the on the yes, uh, <laughs> what is it? West coast. <laughs> so all of that is they're kind of two little kingdoms, but they're ruled by a high king. Okay, right, good, nice bit of nice bit of territory, that. Exactly. Now the world, Middle Earth or Arda, to give it its proper name, was created and ruled from afar by these very powerful beings called the Valar. <gasps> then into the world we get elves dwarves, orcs, uh, and men, as well as... See, They've other always creatures. been there. It wasn't like an invasion. They're, they're... They they get created, okay, but not all at the same time. Elves are there first. Right. Men are come a little bit later, but they're all there in the first age. The first age ends with the defeat of the first Dark Lord, who is called Morgoth. Okay. So this has sort of gone round before? Yes, we've had uh, a nasty chap doing nasty things before. Right. So when he is kicked out, that's the end of the first age. So George Lucas could jump in with a couple of prequels. <laughs> exactly, he could come with some prequels here. Now then, in the second age, because men had been loyal to the Valar and not mm. joined in with Morgoth, mm. they created uh, this brand new island called Numenor. All right. Just, you know, as you do. What, the, the, ba- the elves did? No, no, the Valar, who are these kind of powerful beings. Oh, uh, okay. Sort of, yeah. Imagine, that these, imagine they're kind of playing the game, and yeah. you know it's one of those creation god sims where you just think, oh, I'll just put some land there now. Okay, right, got you. Build a building. And that's this, is it? No. Oh. So this is already here. All of this is Middle Earth that we can see is there, but Numenor mm. is a new island, and the men that go there become the Numenorians. Right. And they become this very powerful race of men. They grow taller than most other men. And they also oh, live a lot longer. I can see where this is going. Mm. So they live maybe sort of a few, couple of hundred years. Right. Probably live quite a long time. As their reward. As their reward okay. for being good and loyal. So they become incredibly powerful, um, but also a little bit proud. Mm, oh dear. So they could be heading for trouble. Mm. They also raise the uh, ire of Sauron. Ah, Christopher Lee. Ledge end. Now, he is a very powerful, he's kind of like a fallen angel figure. So he's not as powerful as a Valar, but he is a kind of... Oh, like a sub- devil, then? Kind of like a devil. A fallen angel, not as powerful as God? Is yeah. he as powerful as God? I don't know. Write in, if you know the answer. So, yeah, so he's that kind of thing. Technically called a Maya, but it means that he's, yeah, sort of like a sub-god figure. Okay, but fact. he's like a um, wizard, like the Gandalf chap. He can change his um, appearance at this point, so oh. he can be different things. Okay. But he is... I suppose of that ilk in the sense that he is incredibly powerful and can do lots of Magic. stuff. He'd be more powerful oh. than a Gandalf. Oh, right. I always thought they were like on a level. No, yeah. Sauron is at the very, very top. Ah, I didn't correct you. Saruman yeah. is Christopher Lee. He is a wizard. Oh. That's not the same as Sauron. Who's he? In the film, you would picture Sauron as effectively the eye. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The tower. The tower. Yeah. They talk about Sauron and the Dark Lord. Yeah. Prior to this, he is embodied. Oh, right. I had no idea of this. In uh, in corporeal form. Mm. Um, Now, he doesn't start off as evil, actually, but he kind of gets seduced by that Morgoth chap. Right. Um, But he really likes order, and he wants to bring order and control to Middle-earth, perhaps a little bit like a certain... I think this is probably more where we make the Edward the First comparison. (laughs) Or Henry Mark V. (laughs) Or maybe Henry Mark V. But he wants control, and it it ends up consuming him. Mm. And because the Numenorians are so powerful, 
that they're a rival to him. He wants to destroy them. So uh, he pretends to let them capture him, and then he corrupts their king and persuades him to send an armada against the Valar, the ruling powers, who had rewarded them by giving them this Mm. island. The Numenorians sail off with their warships to try and get to where the Valar dwell, which Mm. is a place called the Undying Lands, where mortals are not meant to go. Is this all in the book? No, this is pre-book. Right. But it does get referred to. But he wrote about this, did he? Oh, yes, he wrote about this. It's all in appendices and Mm. other books and whatnot. So the Valar are very happy about this, and consequently they completely destroy Numenor. Fair enough. The land is completely gone. Yeah. Harrowing Uh, of the West. Indeed. Get rid of the Numenorians who are there. And uh, they actually change the shape of the world, so it actually becomes round at this point. So the Undying Lands are removed, so only the elves can get to it. Uh, Undying Lands is... It's where the elves sort of go to not be on Earth anymore. I was going to say it's like heaven, but it's not exactly. But I suppose if you think of it in that sort of Okay, right. Only they can go to it. it. Exactly. So he's dealt with the men, but he also needs to deal with the elves. Mm. And to do this, he, uh, he tricks a certain group of elves into forging some rings of power. He's dealt with the, he's dealt with the, the men just by, um, because they're gone. They're, they're dead. That's well, they're, they're not all dead as it will transpire, well, but in yeah. terms of the massive threat, okay, they're yeah. no longer quite as powerful as they were before. Mm. So the rings of power are literally rings that bestow great power upon the wearer. And what he says is, oh, by wearing this, you will have great power. You'll be able to ensure there's peace and order and all that sort of stuff in Middle mm. Earth. That'll all be lovely. But what he doesn't tell them is that he is forging his own ring the one ring which is much more powerful than all the rest and when he wields this ring which he's uh, forged in his uh, in the fires of mount doom in uh, mordor uh, which you'll see is sort of southwest of gondor uh, yeah. this one ring will allow him to control all the other ring bearers right so basically the other people put on their rings Sauron puts on his ring, and now they become enslaved. Remote control people. Exactly. Remote control people. Um, And he does manage to seduce nine men into wearing them, and they end up becoming uh, ring wraiths, or the Nazgul. They're cool. The black riders. I did enjoy those. Do you want a ring wraith fact? Go on. Um, Tolkien was inspired Mm. to write it, or to come up with these ring wraiths, by seeing uh, mounted cavalry in the First World War... Mm. in gas masks and coats. Ooh. So I'll post something on Facebook, to, um, uh, uh, the picture that I said to inspire him, but they do look a lot like them, and they're terrifying. Mm. Look at you with your knowledge. Oh, well, <laughs> it's more, yeah, it's more uh, rooting through Pinterest history boards. <laughs> um, now, unfortunately for Sauron, the elves discover his plan. Oh. Essentially because while he's creating his one ring, he's chanting. <laughs> Brilliant. And this is his chant. Three rings for the elven kings under the sky. Seven for the dwarf lords in their halls of stone. Nine for mortal men doomed to die. One for the dark lord on his dark throne in the land of Mordor where the shadows lie. One ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, one ring to bring them all, and in the darkness bind them in the land of Mordor where the shadows lie. Cue film. I mean, the the credits are from this point, aren't they? As a result, the elves decide maybe not to wear their rings. How do they hear them? They're big ears. Um, I think, I mean, it's... It, it seems to imply that they're effectively there. Oh. And they're like, um, 
What, what was don't, that about the yeah, yeah. one ring? You take that back. <laughs> yeah. So the elves don't wear their rings, mm. and consequently Sauron just has to go to war and try and kill them all. But they're, So if they're killed, they can die. But I, Yes, they can be killed by blade, or they can wither away. All but right. if you just leave them... <laughs> to leave in them be or something they're yeah. just one of those tortoises that just never <laughs> right never head off now they're not alone because although the numenorians have been wiped out as a kingdom some of them do survive there were loyal ones who didn't go on the armada right they are led by a chap called elendil mm, he's not acted in the film is he uh there may be somebody that briefly played him okay <laughs> as you'll see along with his sons um isildur and Anarion, they form the kingdoms of Arnor and Gondor. Isildur is in the north, in Arnor. Anarion is in the south, in Gondor. And at the top of it all is Dad, Elendil, the High King. Okay, did they have to um, have a scrap to get this land from whoever was there I'm initially? I'm not sure who was there. They don't seem to specify. Right. Hmm. Okay. Now, he realises that Sauron's looking pretty dangerous at this point. So, the elves and men make an... Uh, an alliance. Mm. So we have the War of the Last Alliance, Elendil of the men, Gilgalad leading the elves. Very long and brutal war, ultimately climaxes in Mordor itself, where they besiege Sauron in his tower, Barad-dur. Sauron comes out, kills Elendil, kills Gilgalad, but Isildur picks up his father's broken sword, which is called Narsil. Yes, this is the opening credits, isn't in the it? prologue. Yeah. Cuts off the finger and thus gets the ring yeah. from Sauron. So he has it. Isildur gets the ring. Is he? He's not the dad. He's the dad. He's the son of Elendil. Okay, right. Um, and Anarion had died earlier in the battle as well, or in the war. So Sauron's problem is that the ring makes him incredibly, incredibly powerful. But he's effectively put all of his power into the ring. So mm. when he loses the ring, he is massively diminished. Right. So he effectively ceases to exist in bodily form he just kind of becomes a bit of a loose spirit oh right it's a little bit like for harry potter fans with voldemort and the horcruxes oh, a little bit like that that's copyright infringement I'd well say. and obviously the dementors and the yeah. black riders also perhaps certain mm. certain similarity um but the only way that the ring can actually be destroyed which is the only way that sauron can be destroyed is to throw it back into the fires of mount doom where, where it was made. forged because right. otherwise you can't damage it whatsoever so Elrond, who is there, urges Isildur to throw it into the fires, because they are there in Mordor. It's right battle next door. one. <laughs> yeah, battle yeah. one, this a bit. But the ring is all corrupting, and yeah. Isildur decides that he wants to keep the ring for himself, mm. and he doesn't destroy it. Well, He is then later killed in an ambush by orcs at the Gladden Fields. So is- it doesn't give him all this enormous power, it just gives him... Give him uh, certain power. But he can still get, get the old sword in the face. He can still get the old sword in the face. Mm. And uh, the ring betrays him. He leaps into the river Anduin, which you will see kind of runs down. Oh, oh, yeah. He is killed, and the ring is lost in the river. Right. Hang on. Sorry. Mm. Now, we're getting towards territory that I'm a little more familiar with. Yeah. It's then found... Ah, we're not there yet. No, okay. But you're right, it is going to be found. But I thought it was found by some, um, by the little fella, the yeah. little um, knobbly chap. <laughs> yes. And he, what's he doing hanging around there? Because that's awful close to Mordor. I thought it was up um, by the, um, by, you know, up there. Oh, uh, well, the the, uh, the River Anduin, as you see, goes all the way up and all the way down. So if I, I'll move over. 
So the Glandon Field oh, is yeah. actually much further north. Mm. The other thing, of course, is that because Sauron doesn't have the ring, he is not such a power. So actually, oh. it's not quite as big a deal yeah. going near Mordor as it would be earlier or indeed later. Mm. Anyway, the result of a sealed or dying is that the uh, United Kingdoms of Arnor and Gondor basically split. Mm. So they're kind of operating separately. Sauron then re-emerges, initially uh, in the north in Mirkwood, the uh, the woods. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as a necromancer. What's that? De- making dead people come yeah, alive? Maybe. Or? He's, he's, um, he's basically sort of starting to try and take form, but he's not quite there yet. Mm. He's this slightly sort of evil spirit that's in Mirkwood. Arnor then comes under attack from the Lord of the Nazgul, so that's like the chief wraith. Right. It's the Witch King of Angmar, which is Where's kind Angmar? of... Angmar's kind of uh, from further north. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And basically, Arnor just ceases to exist as a kingdom completely. Is that where the, ho- the hobbits are? Uh, it, it becomes, yes. The yeah. Shire comes out, is in what used to be... Arnor. Okay. But the problem is, so Arnor was where Sealdor's line was based, so they have lost their kingdom completely. Right. Then south in Gondor, they run out of royal kings, a bit like in Scotland, <laughs> when Alexander III yeah. dies. So in Gondor, they end up having stewards. Stewards? Mm. Stuart James I? Not quite James I, but that right. is where the Stuart family, ultimately, it, they were stewards in Scotland. That was, oh. their, that was their actual role. Mm. So Arnor has ceased to exist as a kingdom. And Gondor is now, the royal line is gone. Mm. So there aren't any more of these kings. But the line of kings does continue. There is still the son of, the son of, the son of, the son of. So they hadn't run out of kings. They've run out of a kingdom. Ah, uh-huh. so the line That's <laughs> crucial. Yeah. yeah, the line of kings yeah. continues, but they don't actually have anywhere to rule. <laughs> right, okay, mechanic without a car. So Aragorn, as a Seeldal's heir is directly descended from Isildur. Okay. Legit, um, so he's legitimate claim there. Legitimate claim as the heir of Isildur in Arnor, and he's also got a claim in Gondor. Mm. So he would be reuniting the kingdom. Right. But is, it, is this a bit Tudor-esque? Someone coming together to bind the two kingdoms together? It's like Henry VIII as the son of the Lancastrian, Henry yeah. VII, the son of the Yorkist Elizabeth of York. All through, is it? It was all through Elizabeth, was it? Or uh, well, Henry the Seventh was Lancastrian. Well, who's Henry the Seventh's mother? Uh, well, it went all the way back. Ultimately, he was descended from John of Gaunt, who is a son yeah, of Edward the Third. I reckon that's where he got his influence. Mm. Another comparison you could make actually is with Northumbria. Oh right. So you remember from earlier in the Scottish series and the English series at the start, Northumbria in the sort of sixth, seventh century was a mm. very powerful Anglo-Saxon kingdom. Yeah. Which kind of stretched way up into Scotland, way down the east coast. Yeah. But at certain times when it was less powerful, it kind of split into two separate ones. So you had Benicia in the north. Yes. Deira in the south. Yeah. So Deira around York, Benicia based around Bambra. Right. And that, and that, do, do, is there any evidence that this is where Tolkien might have been? Well, there's a, an historian, Max Adams, who wrote a book about uh, King Oswald of Northumbria, who was a 7th century king who got exiled to Dalriata. Mm-hmm. From Scotland, um, when Northumbria is ravaged, right. but then he comes back, kicks out the people that did it, and then there we are, king reunites the kingdom. Right, but uh, frustratingly, I got the book out, and there's like one reference to Aragorn, so it's pretty much the all of the uh, publicity about it was <laughs> right. They just thought okay. this is how we're going to sell this book. Yeah. 
all about Aragorn. <laughs> Although, weirdly, it's called The King in the North, which has a different Very different these days, epic, yeah. Uh, interpretation. Anyway, it's quite a distant one, though. Apparently it's through 39 generations, which is, uh, <laughs> compared to Elizabeth II, who is like the 32nd something or other to Alfred the Great. Oh, right. Okay, so so it would some... be like if Elizabeth II's great-great-great-granddaughter were to come along if the thro- if the kingdom mm. had died. If Alfred had lost the throne to the Vikings in 878, yeah. but had had a child, it would be like Elizabeth II's great-great-great-granddaughter coming back <laughs> in like the year 2250 yeah, and know, saying, I'm here! Yeah. The kingdom is mine! She, she opens up the, um, her hover car door and reveals yeah. a, a woodcut of Alfred the Great. Exactly. Uh, now, Elrond had offered sanctuary to the people of Arnor after the kingdom had um, split up, because you see Rivendell is also in the north. That's um, he- a heavenly place, totally lovely and all that. Heavenly place, and it's protected, because um, the elves do actually forge their own rings separate to Sauron, which right. help keep places um, nice and secluded. Yeah. So Elrond's got one of those rings, so Rivendell okay. is this kind of this haven. So when he tells Aragorn about his lineage, he also gives him the shards of Elendil's sword, Narsil, yes. the one that cut mm. uh, the blade to get the ring, and also the ring of Bahair, which is a family heirloom. Can you just remind me then, he takes that sword, doesn't he? He can use that sword? So initially it, he's got the sword... But it's broken. But it's broken. Okay. So he so didn't take not- the bits, he just took the, the <laughs> holy bit and the... the- yeah. Okay. So it's not a hell of a lot of use at the moment, but, no. you know, it's mm. nice to have the old heirloom. Yeah. Take it onto your antiques roadshow. So he assumes his role as uh, the chieftain of the Dunedan. So these are the rangers of the north. So the people of Arnor now become what are called rangers. Mm. So they're just um, wandering people, in effect. Right. So they no longer have a base. But, but he is effectively the chieftain of them. Okay. All right. And that's through his experience. He's, uh, he's just good at battle, presumably. Well, and because he is the king, in inverted commas. Oh, everyone knows now. Now everybody knows. He's okay. been hiding because he knows that Sauron and the enemy would want to kill him if they mm. knew that he was uh, that he actually lived. So he wanders Middle-earth for quite a long time, develops uh, exceptional knowledge of the place. Mm. The wizard Gandalf describes him as the greatest traveller and huntsman in this age of the world. Mm. And then he goes south under the new alias of Thorongil. Mm. And uh, he just seeks out adventure and, uh, and service. He does uh, lots of stuff to help out against the growing power of Sauron in the south. Sounds pretty fun. So he serves under King Thengel of Rohan. Rohan of um, trousers that you can take <laughs> exactly. apart at the knees. <laughs> it's the very same. Right. Um, so the, these are men, again, uh, famed horsemen. Ah, oh, yeah, I remember them. Yep. Um, and then he also goes to serve with a steward, Ecthelion II of Gondor. Right. But that irks his son Denethor, who later becomes steward, the one that you would recognise from the films. Right. So he's doing stuff there, he's fighting in battles, he's gaining experience. Mm-hmm. But then he returns to the north, have a bit of a rest, and there's a very important person in his life, Arwen. She is the daughter of Elrond, right. of Rivendell. Mm-hmm. Um, now, they first met in Rivendell when Aragorn was 20 and he discovered that he was the heir to Isildur and all this sort of stuff. Um, first time he met her, he immediately falls in love with her, but he's rather overawed when he discovers that she's incredibly, not in a rude way, incredibly old, because, <laughs> because she's an elf, so she lives forever. Yeah, well, that'd be one of your first questions, wouldn't it? When you've, uh, you've known someone for a while, and you know, so, so how old are you then? You, what? 
About 3,050. <laughs> <laughs> so at 20, he's not yet, probably not yet fully grown in Numenorean terms. He's not really a man yet. He's, you know, he hasn't lived yet. No, but for uh, to her, mm. that's like... Uh, wouldn't even be the first day of pregnancy. It'd still be a fetus to her. <laughs> yes. um, but when he comes back, um, uh, how many years is that? 29 years later. So the 2980 we're into now. He comes to Lothlorien, which is where her mother's from, mm. and Arwen happens to be, be there. Um, so when she sees him this time, she now sees a man who is a man. He's now at his six foot six. He's now much wiser. He's now been living, mm. been fighting. Mm. And thus it was that Arwen beheld him again after their long parting, and as he came walking towards her under the trees of Caris Galadon, laden with flowers of gold, her choice was made and her doom appointed. Oh, spoiler alert. Well, because the thing is that the elves are all ultimately departing Middle-earth. It's this kind of diminishing period where their power is fading, and they know that it's now going to be the time of the men to take over. So a lot of the elves are leaving. Oh, right. So Elrond and is thinking, well, you know, I'm going to head off. Arwen's going to come with me. Mm-hmm. But if Arwen wants to stay and be with Aragorn, she's going to give up that immortality and choose a mortal life with him. Can he not go with her? Oh, he's got to be king of the men. Yeah, but he can't mm. go with her anyway. It's only it's the mm. immortals that are meant to go. Oh, dear. But they do fall in love, and on the mound of Kerin Amroth, they pledge their love to each other. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> Aragorn gives her uh, the ring of Bahir, the family heirloom, and Arwen pleasures to renounce her immortality in order to marry him. That is so full of innuendo. <laughs> I mean, I know it's meant to be a tender moment, but good grief. Tolkien is saucy. You haven't seen the place on the map that's called Wet Wang. <laughs> You're right, I, I really haven't. <laughs> uh, where is Wet Wang? I mean, it sounds like somewhere in South Australia, but yeah, there is somewhere called Wet Wang. Amazing. <laughs> so his mother, Aragorn's mother, fears that, you know, he's going to be lonely and elves and men aren't meant to marry. Elrond says that, because he sees Aragorn's in love, but Aragorn is fated never to be able to marry until he'd proved himself worthy. Yeah. In other words, you've got to become king before you're going to be able to okay. marry. Mm. So when you said about how Aragorn always looks quite sullen, a bit mm. serious, it's because he's found out that he's the heir to this kingdom that's not actually been there for 39 generations, and he's the one that's got to restore it. He's Difficult. fallen in love with a three-and-a-half-thousand-year-old woman, but he's not allowed to <laughs> marry her until he becomes king of this kingdom that hasn't existed for yes. 3,000 years. Yeah. He's got quite a lot of responsibility on his shoulders. That's a lot on his plate, isn't it? Yeah. But he finds a friend. Um, can I guess? You can have a guess. Gandalf? Gandalf the Grey, yeah. indeed. Apparently in Rohan is known as uh, Gandalf Greyhem. Greyhem? Or Graham. Graham! <laughs> oh! Graham. Brilliant. So, uh, Gandalf, are we saying that Gandalf's actual name is Graham Gandalf? I mean, I think that's what I'm going to say. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's quite what Tolkien intended, but nevertheless. He's one of five wizards that gets sent to Middle-earth in the Third Age to deal with the growing power of Sauron. So I should have said the Third Age begins when Isildur cuts the ring of Sauron's okay. finger. That's yep. into the Third Age. Um, he discovers that Sauron has been living at Dol Guldur in Mirkwood as a necromancer. Yeah. And he convinces the most powerful wizard, Saruman the White. Oh, Christopher Lee. He convinces Saruman and others to expel Sauron from Mirkwood. So mm. Sauron heads back to Mordor in his sort of flitty, not quite a body form. Because they can't kill him yet. They still There's can't kill him because they don't have the him. ring. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. 
Now, Aragorn meets Gandalf on his travels. They become firm friends. And um, he agrees to help with, along with his rangers to guard the Shire, which is where the hobbits live. And hobbits are these sort of little people, mm. three or four foot high with great big hairy feet. Yeah. Whom Gandalf has taken particular interest in because he went on a quest... Uh, with a hobbit called Bilbo Baggins. Yes, he did. And they went along with the dwarves in the book The Hobbit to reclaim the dwarves' lost homeland of Erebor, which is sort of north of uh, Mirkwood, yeah. from the dragon Smaug. Yeah. And they've done that, and that's all good. But Gandalf was rather suspicious about a ring that Bilbo picked up along the way. So... This just to give a chronology here. Although this happened before Lord of the Rings in this chronology, yeah, was the Hobbit published before or after? It was published before. Oh right, okay, so the, okay, right, fine. But so he he knew that he had this trilogy lined up. No, they asked him to do a sequel, and then he kind of had to make the Hobbit fit ah. in. So why do you have this bit about a ring? Well, the, well, I mean, it just sort of happened to be in there, really. It's oh, a the right. powerful thing that he then leapt upon, but he then kind of had to slightly ah. shift back in terms of what he said about it. To right. To then fit huh. to all of this. So all of this backstory wasn't there when he wrote The Hobbit. Rex fact. Yeah. The Fellowship of the Ring. Gandalf is suspicious about the powers. Bilbo is able to get, turn invisible when he put mm. it on, and he hasn't aged at all mm. in the intervening period, which is all kind of... Ticking the bells. <laughs> I, the I tell you what, if you had one of those, I'd, I'd start to get a bit suspicious. A bit odd. Um, so, on Gandalf's behalf, Aragorn searches for the creature that, that Bilbo got the ring from. Bilbo got the ring from Gollum. The, yeah, the knobbly fella. Yes. Ooh, he. Graham's just passed me a picture here of. Um, I have to say, when I was little and I read the book, I didn't imagine him quite that gross. <laughs> Anyway, he finds him outside Mordor in the Dead Marshes. Oh, yeah. Um, Takes him north to Mirkwood, mm. and there Gandalf questions him. And he learns from Gollum that um, Gollum had originally found the ring in the Anduin, in that river, or rather a friend of his had, and then Gollum had killed him. He'd originally been a hobbit called Schmeagol. He'd been a hobbit? Yeah. I did not know that. But because of the ring completely corrupts him, he disappears into the mountain and sort of forgets <laughs> his entire life before. Um, Graham sent me, sent me, um, <laughs> giving me a picture of Smeagol and then one of Gollum. This fella has not aged well. It's like one of those, <laughs> no. one of those celebrity magazines where it says before and after. Shock! <laughs> has she had surgery? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. Gollum had also been captured previously by Sauron. Hence why he was hanging out in Mordor. Hence why he's hanging yeah. out near Mordor. And he'd revealed to them that the ring had been taken by Baggins and from the Shire. Uh-oh. So Sauron now is pretty sure that the ring is back and it's in the Shire. Okay. So he's just they're now racing against this wobbly spirit to exactly. the Shire. Exactly. Mm. So he send, he's going to send his ring wraiths the Nazgul, mm. the back riders, to go and find the ring. Mm. The thing is that because Sauron's very powerful and arrogant, like many other beings of Middle-earth, they've never really bothered about hobbits. Because mm. hobbits are these kind of... There's slight anachronism in The Lord of the Rings. They're this kind of sort of little English country gentleman. <laughs> these slightly eccentric figures who keep themselves to themselves. Yeah. So he's never bothered. So he doesn't actually know where it is. Oh, right. So oh, the Nazgul okay. have to go off and find it. Yeah. So they've got a bit of advantage because Gandalf has got those links. He mm. knows about it too. 
Gandalf convinces Bilbo to give up the ring and he leaves it to his nephew Frodo Baggins. Gandalf confirms that it definitely is the ring and he now knows that Sauron is raising a huge army mm. to make this is his bid for power. He's going to take over the world and mm. he sent the Nazgul after the ring. So Gandalf tells Frodo to take the ring to Rivendell mm. to be with Elrond where it will be safe and then they can decide what to do. Mm. He has to go off um, on an errand to go and consult with Saruman. Uh, yeah, yeah. But he asks Aragorn to keep an eye on Frodo. Yeah. So unbeknownst to the hobbits, so we've got Frodo, Sam, who's his gardener, yeah, and then uh, Merry and Pippin, the other right. two. They travel along, get to Bree, and at this point, it's town in Bree. Oh, they go to the pub. And this is where they first encounter, and indeed in the book we first encounter, Aragorn. Mm. He's known in this area as Strider. Yes, yes. I was trying to remember that earlier when you said his name was Sorofin. <laughs> is it Thorofin? A Thorongil. Thorongil. He's not n- known as that in the film. Uh, so he's known in Strider, again, like Longshanks, really, just because he's big. So he, uh, and mm. he goes around a lot. He's yeah. wandering. Um, he rescues them from the Nazgul, who come to Bree, who almost captured them. They stabbing, stabbing the pillow. Or is that just a cartoon no, yes, version? That's, yes, so yeah. he, um, they set up fake beds so yeah. the Nazgul come in. To be honest, that is... If you're looking for someone in to kill someone in their beds... That is trick number one. <laughs> yes. Is this a pillow or is this a person? Kill it first <laughs> and then Ask look us, afterwards. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, how he looks when they first see him at Bree. This is our first introduction to Aragorn. Suddenly, Frodo noticed that a strange-looking, weather-beaten man sitting in the shadows near the wall was also listening intently to the Hobbit talk. He had a tall tankard in front of him and was smoking a long-stemmed pipe curiously carved. His legs were stretched out before him, showing high boots of supple leather that fitted him well, but had seen much wear and were now caked with mud. A travel-stained cloak of heavy dark green cloth was drawn close about him, and in spite of the heat of the room he wore a hood that overshadowed his face, but the gleam of his eyes could be seen as he watched the hobbits. So, are we to assume that he, this is where that he's been shadowing them all the mm. way to here? He's been shadowing them. And now he actually wants to make his appearance. He wants them to... Yeah, he now needs to come in and help. And Gandalf has written a letter in which he says, you know, if you meet my friend Aragorn, he might be calling himself Strider. He's safe. He trusts him. Go with him. Um, So at this point, we've got the sense of him as this ranger, as this Mm. sort of wild man, sort of the mud on him. He's looking quite beaten. He's not yet really kingly. Yeah, it doesn't look a king yet. Exactly. Uh, So he takes them to Rivendell. Though on the way, Frodo does get stabbed at Weathertop by a, a Morgul blade by the, the Nazgul. Does he? He does. I don't remember that. He puts the ring on and then they can see where he is. And then he gets stabbed ah. and they try to take it off him. Because ah. they can see him when he has the ring on. Yeah. And they can't see him when he doesn't have it on. No, but they can kind of sense where the ring is. Right. But, okay. Uh, but thankfully, Rivendell, Elrond's very good at healing, as is um, uh, Aragorn, as we'll see. Ah. Anyway. Mm. Frodo recovers from his wound, and we have the Council of Elrond. So it's a great big meeting, hosted at, Evend- uh, at Rivendell by Elrond. Mm. It's attended by elves, dwarves, men, as well as Gandalf, Frodo, Bilbo, who's mm. now there as well, and Aragorn. What's Bilbo doing there? Well, he leaves the Shire, and he's kind of writing his, writing his oh, memoirs. Oh, he's writing his memoirs, yeah, yeah. and he goes there. Yeah. Oh. Um, so they're going to discuss what to do with the ring and what to do about Sauron. Mm. Sauron, at this point, they learn from all the various people that are there, is effectively preparing a kind of world war, mm. if you like. He's got huge armies of trolls, orcs, and also men from the south. 
So we've got sort of like Harrod and Easterlings, Corsairs. So these are men oh, yeah. that are actually in league with Sauron. Mm. His most powerful rival and his nearest rival is Gondor. So he wants to take them out, and then that opens up the rest of Middle-earth. Okay, Gondor is uh, is an ally at this point, friendly to men. Yes. Okay. And uh, so he wants to take out Gondor, but he's kind of doing it with a bit of an outflanking manoeuvre. So he's using his base of Dol Guldur in Mirkwood, mm-hmm. which is further north, and he's going to attack the elves who are there. That's also near to Rivendell and Lothlorien. We've also got the dwarves up in Erebor, where they got rid of Smaug. Mm-hmm. And he's got... Uh, Rohan, which is north of Gondor, mm-hmm. which is near to Saruman, who we now know is actually in league with Sauron. Okay, because Gandalf went to check up on him and he found yeah. that he was a baddie. Yeah, so Sauron's got a base in Isengard. Okay. Yep. Just north of Rohan. So he's basically got all these different forces and all these different fronts. Mm-hmm. The objective being that ultimately he's going to isolate Gondor, so no one's going to be able to help Gondor. And once he takes them out, there's no one else really powerful enough. Okay cause him too much bother which is worrying yeah well for the Gondorian certainly <laughs> yes exactly uh, Gandalf reveals the fact that Saruman has betrayed them but the good news is that they the good guys have got the ring yes which Frodo has got Boromir uh, the dwarf Sean Bean oh he's the son of the steward of Gondor okay so he's a man mm-hmm. normal man so he's not a giant right um, he urges them to use the ring against Sauron. He says, you know, we can take the ring, we'll be really powerful, we can destroy him. Is, uh, is this the point where he, he dies? Not at this exact moment. Okay, right. <laughs> He's struck okay. down dead. Oh, we're still in the council here. Good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that would have saved a lot of screen time. We are still at the council. Uh, but Gandalf explains the fact that it's all-consuming uh, in its corrupting influence. So even if you try to wear it to do good... Mm. you'll end up doing bad. So that's why Gandalf won't wear it, because he's really powerful. If he wears the ring, he'll end up becoming really his own bad. Dark Lord. Yeah. yeah, It'll be really terrible. So the only option is to take it to Mordor and destroy it, mm. which isn't easy to do, given that that's where Sauron and his army actually mm. is. Yeah. So they need a small company that can go and do it. They're not quite managing to agree it, so eventually Frodo speaks up and says that I will take the ring, though I do not know the way. Did he take the um, request for a small company a little too literally? Do you think? <laughs> just, just one. Just, yeah, just put, put, tapping someone on the knee, saying, "I'm little." <laughs> so they agree instead that a fellowship of nine will take the ring to Mordor to destroy it, because ultimately, sounds too powerful to defeat in war. So if it is just a straight battle of armies, they'll lose. Mm. But if they can destroy the ring, they'll destroy Sauron. Okay. So thus, we have the fellowship of the ring. Okay, so they're trying to go for they're going for the sneaky sneaky tactic. Exactly. Right. So we've got uh, in this fellowship the Hobbits, Frodo, Sam, Merry and Pippin. Frodo Sam four, yep. Gandalf. Yep. Gimli, who is a dwarf. Yes. And he's the son of Gloin, who's one of the ones that went with Bilbo. Right. Hobbit. Um Gimli always spoiling for a fight, looking for an orc to splatter with his axe. Yeah. We've got an elf um Legolas. Uh Lando Bloom. Yeah. So Legolas is the son of the ruler of Mirkwood, so he's got incredible sight, incredible movement, an amazing archer, because mm-hmm. yeah, he's he's an elf. And then we've got two men, Aragorn and Boromir. Okay, so there's nine of them. Yeah. That's your nine. There are certain tensions in the group. Elves and dwarves notoriously don't get on. 
Mm. So there's a bit of a frosty relationship between Gimli and Legolas. It's quite friendly, though, isn't it? Uh, well, initially it's not. Oh. But maybe friendships will be forged oh, okay. in the heat of battle. And Boromir is a bit ambivalent when he's told that Aragorn is Isildur's heir and thus is meant to become king and yeah. take, it, Why is take away the... Stu- well, partly, I guess, because it means that his dad doesn't get to be steward anymore of Gondor and oh, Boromir yeah. himself won't get to be. But also, like the uh, the Queen's great-great-great-great-granddaughter, yeah. he might be a bit sceptical if someone comes along and says, I'm the 39th. Mm son or grandson whatever yeah. of a sealed door you'd be mm. like really <laughs> <laughs> particularly because as you said at this point Aragorn's not looking massively kingly he's still no. a ranger and people look down on rangers a little bit they don't maybe give them the respect that they deserve but the rangers are all these super tall people super tall yeah. people in the north but Aragorn gets a little bit more kingly because Elrond has the shards of Narsil the sword that cut the ring mm-hmm. has it reforged ah you sword that shines brightly as Aragorn's sweet yeah. sword, which he renames Andril. So he's got a nice new sword yeah, with a good. nice new name. So they set off, heading south. Um, Gandalf and Aragorn are leading the fellowship. Bit of disagreement about where they're going to go. Aragorn initially takes them, tries to go over um, the Misty Mountains, um, over Karatras, which is this sort of very big mountain peak. But terrible storms, awful snow which is bad for hobbits because they're so small that they just <laughs> sink into it. So instead, but big feet. Big feet, that's true. Instead, they try to go through the mines of Morior. So he's made his first mistake, this chap. Well, I suppose you could say Aragorn's made the mistake, but he doesn't want to go into the mines. Right, are they in, within the mountains as a way of going, getting out of the storm? So you're effectively going under the mountains mm. rather than going over them. Um, these were created by dwarves. Mm. who are great miners and you know mm. all this sort of stuff, but they've gone a bit too deep and they found something terrible Uh-oh. underneath. And once they get in, they discover that the dwarves have all been killed by orcs. Surely Gimli would have known that, or is it just assuming that it's, it's going to be this a homecoming? This has happened in relatively okay. recent past. There are mm. rumours of this, but they haven't actually confirmed it until mm. the Fellowship gets there. On the way out, they're pursued by a terrible monster, the Balrog. I remember him, yeah. yeah Very yeah. big, huge... Yeah. Horned thing. Gandalf stands off against him at the Bridge of Khazad Doom, blocks his path. And the the quote of maybe the last twenty years of film, <laughs> I'm reluctant to admit, is definitely <laughs> You shall not pass <laughs> At that point he breaks the bridge yeah. on the other side and sends the Balrog down to yeah. its doom. But whoop crack with his whippy tail. And it drags Gandalf down with him. Mm. To which he, uh, before he falls, he urges the others, Fly, you fools! I love that bit, actually. That is brilliant, isn't it? (laughs) That is really good. So Gandalf is lost. Yeah. And instead, Aragorn now is in charge of the company. Um, They're now through the mountains, so they go to Lothlorien. So he's still giving the directions? He's still giving the directions, because he's the traveller, so he's the one that actually knows Middle-earth better than anybody else. I bet they're all looking at each other going, you mean the, the fellow with all the snow? <laughs> he's leading us. But he didn't want to go through the mines. No, that's true. So, mm. you know, pros and cons. So they're now in Lothlorien. Okay, so they made it over the hills. Yep, or under the hills. So here in uh, Lothlorien, which is another one of these um, havens for the elves, mm. so the person in charge at Lothlorien is Galadriel. That name rings a bell. Kate Blanchett. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Mm. So she's another one that's got one of the elven rings, mm. so she can keep this as a kind of paradise that's 
um, separated from all the nasty stuff going on in the world. I also think, someone will correct me if I'm wrong on this, I also think she's Arwen's grandmother. So she is properly old. Probably, yes. <laughs> she's definitely, she's been there a long time. Biblical old, that one. Exactly. Like Noah. Um, so they're taken in by Gladriel. Gimli is enraptured by her beauty, which is a great surprise as a dwarf for him to uh, oh, finally, yeah, be so no. taken in by her. Um, and this proves something of a starting of the sympathy between him and Legolas as they uh. start to uh, appreciate each other's cultures a little bit more. Um, it's also, I thought, a little bit like, remember with Malcolm III in the Scottish series, where he is this sort of rough and ready Scottish king, and then you get Margaret of Wessex, oh, St. Yeah. Margaret, who's this lovely, and he kind of starts bringing her books and putting <laughs> yeah, gold on it, even sweet. though he can't read. Yeah, it's really lovely. Um, on the way, um, she gives them all a gift, mm-hmm. um, various useful things Nerf for them guns. on the journey. Um, so what? <laughs> Nerf guns? Nerf guns, yeah. Polo mints? <laughs> Um, Gimli quite sweetly just wants a lock of her hair to change. Oh, that's annoying, isn't it? What were the others getting? Uh, oh, they get really useful things like a light in the darkness and all sorts of stuff. For uh, uh, for Aragorn, mm-hmm. he gets a gift from Arwen, yeah, which uh, she's given over to Galadriel. It's a brooch. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh, after that, I thought you were going to say something like, oh, I don't know what you're going to say. Um, so, a brooch from Arwen, um, which is a token for hope. Right, okay, here you go, right, thanks. Um, she also bids him to, uh, Gladriel bids him to take the name of Elessar, which is the Elfstone of the House of Elendil. I've only just managed to shake off Estrell <laughs> or whatever it was. Strider and Longstrangs <laughs> yeah. and Thorngill. Mm, Little nice. identity problems. They also provide them with some boats. Much better. So they're able to sail down the river Andri- uh, the Andrew now without being attacked that's a, by That's like a motorway down to Mordor there. Exactly. That's much more useful. Um, so in the boats, we've got three boats. Aragorn, Frodo and Sam in mm. one. Boromir, Merry and Pippin. And then Legolas and Gimli, who are now best mates. Good. In the third one. So they come all the way down until we get to the Falls of Raros. Let's look where they are. Oh, yeah. I can see them. It's halfway down the boat away. So that's where, uh, if you remember the two massive statues yeah. um, of stone yeah. that they go through, which are meant to represent Isildur and Denarion. Uh, which one's Denarion? Uh, the brother of okay. Isildur, the yeah. other brother. Mm. So that's who they are, uh, yeah. in case you're interested. Um, so there's a massive waterfall, so obviously they have to get out. Yes. And then decide where they're going to go next. Um, they have a big old debate. Aragorn isn't quite sure where to go, and he's starting to doubt himself a little bit, given that things haven't gone brilliantly yeah. thus far. So he decides to let Frodo decide as the ring bearer. The decision, are they going to go south to Gondor and the capital of Minas Tirith, which is what Boromir wants to do? Are they going to go east, mm-hmm. try and sneak in the back way? Frodo goes off for an hour to think about it. Boromir follows him mm. because he has been tempted by the ring and he tries to take oh. it from Frodo. Uh-oh. Frodo runs off and then the company realise that they're missing and rather chaotically they all go running around trying to find Frodo. And so ends, if you're following the book, The Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, a bit earlier than the film. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so, yeah. Okay, that confused me. Got it. Yep. The Two Towers. At the start of the two towers, we have the death of Boromir. Mm. So they're all charging around uh, trying to find Frodo, and then they come under attack from Saruman's orcs. First battle in this one. First rule. Well, so I guess yeah, Aragorn's done a bit of fighting yeah. 
at Weathertop. But yeah, essentially a sort of first real little encounter. Boromir sounds the horn of Gondor. There's uh, a horn from Gondor. Okay, right. To say, help. Yeah. He's blowing the whistle on the mountain, yeah, basically. Okay. Aragorn comes rushing to him, but finds him full of arrows. Uh, this is So he's been interrupted trying to um, interfere with the ring. Well, he had initially done that. Frodo had run off, but then the orcs had come along. Mm. So Boromir died trying to protect Merry and Pippin. Right. Okay, so a hero's end in the end. He's kind of redeems himself. Um, Aragorn gets to him just before he dies. And then for all last, uh, the death of Boromir. A nice moment between the two of them. Um, Boromir says to him, Farewell, Aragorn. Go to Minas Tirith and save my people. I have failed. No, said Aragorn, taking his hand and kissing his brow. You have conquered. Few have gained such victory. Be at peace. Minas Tirith shall not fall. Boromir smiled, but did not speak again. How had he conquered? What was he saying he'd conquered? I thought he'd done well, he's, You know, he's, he's Just dying, being nice. poor guy. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, actually, Aragorn, I don't want to spoil the moment, oh, yeah. but... <laughs> yeah. It's not I mean, looking that great from where I'm standing. <laughs> <laughs> You might have a future as a pincushion. Aragorn uh, rather despairs at this point. He blames himself um, for how amiss all the events have gone. He blames himself. Every decision's kind of gone wrong. They discover that Frodo and Sam have gone off east. Oh, they've run away? They've run away to go and take the ring to Mordor by themselves. Oh dear, that is rather bad. But Boromir has told them that the orcs have captured Merry and Pippin and they're heading off to Saruman in Isengard. Okay, um, over here. Yeah, okay, right. So Saruman rather than... Yeah, so yeah. it's Saruman at this point. Mm. Because Saruman is weird, because he's kind of in league with Sauron, but actually he's kind of sort of double-dealing Sauron as well. He wants mm. the ring for himself. Yeah. So he's building up his own army and his own base. That's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, he's, got, he's, he's the one who's actually training all the um, horrible creatures. Mm. Yeah. So they have to decide what to do, and ultimately they decide, um, Aragorn, Legolas and Gimli, that they're going to follow after Merry and Pippin and try and rescue them. Why not the other two, the ones with the actual ring? Well, they think about that, but then sort of Aragorn would have gone with Frodo. Originally, he kind of wanted to go to Gondor with Boromir, because that's you know, where he's meant to go ultimately yeah. and become king. But then he thought, no, now that Gandalf's dead, his responsibility is with Frodo. Yeah. But he realises that Frodo is the one bearing the responsibility and he wants to go off alone without them. And he kind of thinks, well, if you follow after him, you're not really going to actually be able to help very much. And actually, the smaller the number, probably the better at this stage. Okay. He accepts it's Frodo's decision, but they don't want to let Merry and Pippin get hideously killed by the orcs. No, fair enough. So they decide they're going to go and rescue them. So they track the orcs and the Urukai, who are like sort of super orcs. Um, rush at huge, uh, no, huge, rush at great pace across the country, mm-hmm. and they uh, come ultimately into Rohan, mm-hmm. which we mentioned before, where the horse people are. Yeah, uh, there they encounter Aemer. Aemer is amazed when he finds out how far that they've actually gone. Oh, yeah, so it's four days, and they've just basically been going, barely stopping at all, just charging across the whole time. So when he finds out, he says, "On foot, Strider is too poor a name, son of Arathorn. Wingfoot, I name you." <laughs> Not another one. Forty leagues and five have you measured ere the fourth day is ended. There's a nice little uh, book there, the Atlas of Middle Earth, which implies that they're doing about so they're doing at least thirty miles a day. That's um, sorry, that is um, Henry the Second worthy. Henry the Second worthy, or maybe um, Harold the Second yeah. when he had to go up to Stamford Bridge yeah. and run all the way back to uh, deal with William the Conqueror. 
Do I mean Henry the Second? Well, he did used to fly around. He used to kind of just pop up. Yeah, that's the yeah. Know yeah. How we got there so quickly. Um, Aemer reveals that he hadn't seen the hobbits, but he had seen an army of orcs, which is the one they're tracking, mm. and they'd found them at Fangorn Forest. Oh, which is sort of on the outskirts oh, of yeah. Isengard, further to the north. But he said he didn't see any hobbits, and they killed everybody. Mm. So they're a little bit worried, but they pick up the tracks at Fangorn, and Aragorn realises that the hobbits had escaped into the forest. Mm. So they go inside, even though it's meant to be quite a dangerous forest. And then there is a white wizard. Yes, Of course, they assume is. it's Saruman. Mm. But it's not Saruman. It is... Harry. Here he, oh, look, he's changed colour. It's Gandalf the White. Same bloke, though. It is the same bloke, but effectively Gandalf did die. But Gandalf is another one of these Maya, so he's sent onto Earth. So he kind of still exists as a spirit. So effectively they gave him another body, but revved up. So instead of being Gandalf the Grey, he's now the more powerful Gandalf the White. Oh, he should, he should die again and have another <laughs> Just go. Just what colour he comes powerful. back as. So Gandalf is even more powerful now than he was before. He reveals that Merry and Pippin are now safe. They've been entrusted to the care of Treebeard, who is an Ent, mm. who is kind of a, effectively a tree man, who you guards ready? the forest. Yeah. I am an Ent. Um, so the hobbits are now safe yeah. with Treebeard in the forest. Mm. For Gandalf and for Aragorn, they now need to go back where they've come, to Rohan. So that was all a bit of a waste. Well, no, because they ultimately found them, and they found Gandalf. Oh, they found again, Gandalf, crucially. yeah. The Ents are my favourite characters, by the way. Love the trees. Mm. nice thing with the Ents is that they, um, they, their kind is dying out, because as mm. um, Treebeard says to Merry or Pippin, said, oh, we, you know, we've, we lost the Ent wives. And they say, oh, that's terrible. When did they die? No, no, we lost them. We can't remember where they are. <laughs> yeah, to lose them. Um, uh, oh, what's the quote? One lose a one <laughs> parent is uh, pity, and to lose two is carelessness. Yeah, exactly. So they head back to Rohan. The reason being that their king Theoden, mm. once a very powerful, mighty king, mm. he's now aged. Oh, hang on, I thought, I thought, sorry, I thought Sean Bean was the um, prince of Rohan and Gondor. Just Gondor. Oh, okay. Rohan's so its Rohan. own little separate, okay. smaller kingdom. The horse fella's dad, uh, who they, he, they, when they were looking for the Merry and Pippin. Yes, not actually his dad, his uncle. Oh, okay. Yeah. But yes, him. Mm. So King Theoden of Rohan used to be quite strong, but he's now old, he's weak, and he's fallen under the influence, perhaps also being poisoned, by Grima Wormtongue. Ah, uh, I remember him. He's yeah. a treacherous character, and he's actually in league with Saruman. Mm. And he's getting him to basically get rid of all the good people at court, and he doesn't want him to get involved in any of the wars, because yeah. obviously they want it to go yeah. against uh, the way of the three peoples. So Theoden is unwilling to go to war against Sauron, which is what Gandalf wants him to do. He wants him to join up and to go to the aid of Gondor, because mm. they know ultimately that's what um, Sauron's going to attack. But Gandalf is now much more powerful. So he restores Theoden to his former health, and Theoden kind of comes back into himself, is revived, and he kicks out Grimmer Wormtongue. Not, no, um, no Stabby Stabby? No stabby stabby, Grimmer Wormtongue lives. Okay. That's an error, is it? Or if, Maybe we'll they see. should have done. Maybe they mm. should have done. Perhaps not a fatal error. Um, now, at this point, Aragorn meets uh, another important person. 
a lady. Sexy lady, mm. right. This is Eowyn, who is the brave and beautiful niece of Theoden and the sister of Aema. She'd been caring for Theoden when he was ill and resisting the advances of Wormtongue. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's fair to say that Aragorn makes a bit of an impression on her mm. quite, uh, quite early on. So he sees her, known as Lady of Rohan, Eowyn, thought her fair but also a bit cold. Hmm. Morning of pale spring that has not yet come to womanhood. But she becomes suddenly aware of him, tall heir of kings, wise with many winters, grey-cloaked, hiding a power that yet she felt. Ooh, I say. Um, she provides some wine for Theoden and all of his guests. As she stood before Aragorn, she paused suddenly and looked upon him, and her eyes shining. And he looked down upon her fair face and smiled. But as he took the cup, his hand met hers, oh. and he knew that she trembled at the touch. Oh dear. Hail Aragorn, son of Arathorn, she said. Hail, Lady of Rohan, he answered. But his face now was troubled, and he did not smile. I, I don't think he smiled once, though, has he? <laughs> he why does he smile a lot. Sometimes he does. Why I hope he... to make him laugh a bit. <laughs> but why is he troubled now? Well, because he's in love with... Uh, Arwen, mm-hmm. he's betrothed to her. She's giving up her immortality for him. Oh, they've, they've, that's fine. Oh, yeah, they did all that naughty stuff on the hilltop. Yeah, yeah. And now he's like, uh oh, this yeah. one likes me. Oh, or- that's all right. You can awkward, just be <laughs> polite, and just say, oh, hello, thank you for the wine. <laughs> well, I think that's, that's pretty much what he does. It's okay. a very British male. <laughs> How to deal with an awkward, uh, awkward advances. Um, anyway. There is peril, so there's no time for love at this point. Theoden's only son, Theodred, is killed when Sauron's forces attack the Fords of Ison, which are kind of nearby. It's like a route in to right. Rohan. There's then a second attack, which actually captures the Fords. So Theoden had been marching to go and relieve them, but instead Gandalf says, you go off to your castle, shore up there, prepare for the invasion... I will go and do some unspecified deed. Huh. So they don't know what uh, Gandalf's up to, but Aragorn, Theoden, Legolas, Gimli, and the Riders of Rohan all go off to uh, a place called... Well, it's actually technically the Hornburg. So you'd know it in the film as Helm's Deep. Yeah. Helm's Deep is the ravine, the valley. Hornburg is the castle built over it. So they don't say that in the film, do they? Do no, they? but technically Tolkien would call it the Battle of the Hornburg. Ah. Huh. And then you've got a massive wall in front of it. So it's incredibly well defended because behind it is like mountains yeah. and river. And so in front of it is a great big wall. And then the rest of it's just valley. Yeah. Okay. So it's pretty well defended. It's never been taken before. Um, Aragorn, Theoden and everybody else start to get the defences ready. But Saruman sends a massive army. Mm. Loads and loads of orcs, lots of men. And they are out to conquer Rohan. They ultimately are able to break through the walls. With a big mine. Big old mine. Blow yeah. up a hole in the walls. Mm. Aragorn, Thed and the others are forced to retreat within the fortress itself. Then as dawn is approaching and the numbers are overwhelming them, they think that probably the game is up. Mm. So they decide to do a last sort of heroic final charge out into the orcs. But then as dawn is approaching, up on the hill behind the orcs emerges Gandalf. And he's managed to get together the army that had been scattered from the defeat at the Fords of Isen. Which one was that? That's um, his son. Okay. His son had been yep. killed. Yep. They'd all scattered, but Gar- Gandalf has brought them all back together. And now they come in. Save the day. Save the day. Kill the orcs. The battle is won. Thank you, Gandalf. Exactly. Graham. 
Gandalf Grave indeed. Um, they then head up to Isengard mm-hmm. and to Saruman, who has been foiled in his attempts to get rid of Rohan. Merry and Pippin had managed to convince Treebeard and the Ents to make war on Saruman when they discovered how much damage he'd done to the forest by doing all this industrialization and oh, yeah. war building. Oh, that was a great gag they do when um uh when because they're trees, they take forever to decide anything, and they're having yeah. their council. And mm. oh, what do they say? Uh, so what's the answer then? They say no, we've just decided <laughs> to discuss it or something. Yeah. Oh. Good. Several hours later. And so they have broken the nearby dam of Ison and flooded Isengard. Mm. So all that now remains is Saruman's in his tower, which is called Orthanc. Uh, Saruman... The wizard. The wizard, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So his attempts to basically get the ring for himself and become the all-powerful chap has now failed. And also then the horrible nasty eye has no allies. Well, he has no allies other than his huge army of orcs and trolls. Oh, he's got his own orcs and troll army. Yeah, so Saruman has built up his own rival army, basically. But Sauron's got huge forces. Mm. And he hasn't lost any of them because these are all Saruman's orcs rather Mm. than Sauron. So it hasn't affected him too much. Um, Saruman attempted to negotiate his release but rejected Gandalf's offer. And then um, he's much diminished in power now, so Gandalf breaks his staff. Mm. But Gandalf is now the most powerful wizard. Wormtongue, behind Saruman, then throws, possibly at Gandalf, we're not quite sure, a palantir, which is a seeing stone, like a crystal ball. Mm -hmm. Pippin picks it up initially, and when he looks into it, he's seen by Sauron. Oh, okay, so now now the horrible eye knows where they are. He does know where they are, but in a way it works out quite well, because he assumes that because he'd been communicating with Saruman via this seeing stone. He thinks, aha, this is a hobbit. He's at all thanks. Saruman must have captured the hobbit that's got the ring. Yeah. So he doesn't realise that actually Frodo and Sam are on their way to Mordor. Uh, okay, yeah. He all gets a little bit mm. confused. Gandalf gives Aragorn the Palantir, mm. and Aragorn apparently as a Numenorian is able to use it, and it's kind of, it's probably came from Isildur. Right. So he's like, yeah, this is mine, I should have this. Gandalf goes off to Gondor with Pippin to prepare for what they now know will be an attack on Gondor mm. from Sauron. Meanwhile, Theoden and Aragorn prepare to muster the forces of Rohan again to go and ride to Gondor's aid. Mm. Okay. The return of the king! So Aragorn is with Theoden and they're getting the, uh, the Rohan army ready for war. But then Aragorn is visited by 30 of his rangers from the north. Mm -hmm. And uh, they bring him a standard that Arwen has made, so like a massive flag. Like a love letter in a big flag form? Uh, Well, I think it's more for war. Oh, okay. But it's got his sort of sigil and the Gondor stuff and all that kind of thing. Sort of sweet. Yeah. But it's not, you know, it's it's maybe a bit more practical than the brooch. A lot more, yeah. (laughs) Um, And they also remind him of a prophecy that the Oathbreakers of Dunharrow would rise again for Isildur's heir. You're going to ask a question at this yeah, point. I certainly am, yeah. What on earth am I talking about? Mm. Also with the rangers are the some of the sons of Elrond. They give him this message. I bring you word from my father. The days are short. If thou art in haste, remember the paths of the dead. Now, the paths of the dead refers to many years ago, back in the days of Isildur, there was a king in the mountains, and Isildur got him to pledge his loyalty, mm. so that when the time came to march against Sauron, the king of the mountains and his people would march with Isildur. 
when push comes to shove, they've actually thrown their lot in with Sauron. Oh, the cheeky devils. And they don't fight. So Isildur curses them. Yeah. And says that they will have no rest until they have fulfilled their oath. So we effectively have an, a sort of undead stroke ghost army. But So they've, they've died at this point, but they're not going to rest as in they're not going to go to heaven or anything. Yeah, they're still okay. there. They're still lingering in existence. Right. But the prophecy states that the uh, basically Aragorn is able to call them again to fight against Sauron. Yeah. And he will be able to release them from their curse. Okay. But it's very, very dangerous because no living man is actually meant to be allowed to go to the paths of the dead. And if they try, they get killed. Oh. So when Aragorn says, by the way, Theoden, everybody who's preparing for war, I'm not going to come with you. I'm going to go to the paths of the dead. They're a bit downbeat about it. Yeah. But he's determined. He thinks it's what's got to be done. And he particularly knows this when he looks into the Palantir, the Seeing Stone. Right, he's nicked that, is he? Well, it was given... Gandalf gave it to him. Oh, yeah, that's his right. By yeah. birthright. He looks into it, and he effectively has a bit of a sort of psychic battle with Sauron. Aragorn has this. Yes. Aragorn reveals himself to Sauron as a sealed or's heir. He shows him the sword, the reforged sword, and says, I'm coming for you. Isn't this a really bad idea? Well, that's what Gimli says yeah. after he's done it. But Aragorn's reasoning is that he's kind of been announcing himself for a bit anyway. Hmm. But also, he thinks that actually Sauron is kind of worried about him because he thinks, God, Isildur, the one that stopped me last time, the one that cut the ring off and took yeah. all my power, and his heir yeah. is back. He's got the sword. The sword's been put back together. Just, just trying to shake him up then. Trying to shake him up. But also, Aragorn is able to see, because he kind of gets control of the stone, he sees that Sauron is imminently going to go to war against Gondor. So he realises that they don't have enough forces to help. So basically, they've got to get a massive force quickly to sort them out. Hence why he decides to go to see the skeleton people. Hence why he's got to go and see the skeleton people. So um, it is pretty punchy, though, to to decide that one um, admittedly quite tall chap with a sword is going to intimidate a fiery eye of hell up in a tower. Yeah. But, you know, good on him. Good, good on try. Him. He's done it. So, Aragorn splits. He goes off with uh, the rangers, the sons of Elrond, and also, of course, Gimli and Legolas. Mm. Merry's with them at this point is now serving Theoden. Right. So he does not uh, go with them. Eowyn, however, does want to go with him. She's the wine woman. The, the lady of Rohan. Mm. Um but uh, it's, it's unfortunately, it's a little, again, a little bit of an awkward exchange. She's quite happy when he comes to her, where yeah. she's based, which is quite a way out from where mm-hmm. she'd expect him to be going. She smiled on him and said, Then it was kindly done, Lord, to ride so many miles out of your way to bring tidings to Eowyn and to speak with her in her exile. <laughs> to which he said, Indeed, no man would count such a journey wasted. And yet, lady, I could not have come hither if it were not that the road which I must take leads me to Dunharrow. Oh, <laughs> slap in the face. And then um, it goes on further where she said, Aragorn, why will you go on this deadly road? Because I must. Only so I can see any hope of doing my part in the war against Sauron. I do not choose paths of peril, Eowyn. Were I to go where my heart dwells, far in the north, I would now be wandering in the fair valley of Rivendell. So he's totally... Um 
rebuffing her. He's he? rebuffing her, but obviously he's kind of going as far as he absolutely can without saying sorry. Yeah, Not interested, but but um, that he should have just said, you know, he should have gone with a lovely wine. When he says that, you know, she should stay, she's got no part going off to war, no part going off to the south, she replies, neither have those others who go with thee. They only go because they would not be parted from thee, because they love thee. Oh, heavy hinting. Heavy. And what does, does Aragorn go, (sighs) by any chance? (laughs) He goes, ah. (laughs) So, Aragorn is heading off to the paths of the dead, Mm. and battle is going to be happening. Okay. The big battle. In Gondor, mm. Sauron has taken uh, the fortress of Asgiliath, mm. so the capital of Minas Tirith, the big, massive white one kind of on the mountain, yeah. is now isolated. It's the last step, basically, okay. for him to conquer. Baddies got it. Bad- well, Baddies well, wants to get it. Baddie, Baddies mm. about to mm. march on it. Um, the younger brother of Boromir, Faramir, right. um, is mortally wounded, well, seriously wounded, his father, Denethor, goes mad and um, starts preparing a funeral pyre for both of them, mm. even though Faramir isn't actually dead. So Gandalf is left to direct the defences. So we have what's called the Battle of the Pelennor Fields. So these are the fields outside of the city mm. where a lot of the fighting takes place. The Lord of the Nazgul, the chief ringwraith, the Black Rider, yeah. he's in charge. He leads a huge army. They breach the defences, get into the city... Is this one where he's flying on the back of a dragon? Yeah. Right. Just about, uh, just as they're about to come in and fight inside the city, however, Theoden and the Riders of Rohan arrive. Hey. Come to the rescue. So we've got fighting on the field, we've got fighting um, on the city walls. Yeah. Sort of two fronts open at the moment. Theoden is killed, however. Numbers um, are overwhelming, though Eowyn, who has snuck in, Ooh, as a man, and Merry mm. is also there, kill the uh, Lord of the Nazgul. Ah, how do they do it? A bit stabby-stabby. Oh, the old classic blade in the body trick. Blade in the body trick. Yeah. (laughs) Works every time. Um, But the forces of the enemy are still overwhelming, particularly for Rohan with all its horses when we get the Mummerkill or the Oliphants, these kind of giant elephant-like creatures that okay. comes stomping across the battleground. Huge, huge... I don't remember those at all. Ima- imagine Hannibal with his elephants, but they're huge. Okay. Horses don't like them. No. Oh, know. many, many tusks. Yes. The one that Legolas sort of ends up yeah. skating down the tail after. That's, I, in my mind, that was that um, 3D film, the um, Avatar. I thought that was Avatar I had in my head. No. They may have had... I think they had big tusky creatures okay. as well. But this is... Um, yeah, no, I do remember that. He's always doing sliding. He's a show-off, that. <laughs> He's a bit of a show-off. That's a nice thing where um, Gimli and Legolas have this rivalry, which is I didn't realise was going to be the case. It's actually in the books, uh. where they're just competing to see who can kill the most orcs in the oh, battle. Nice. So you get them sort of adding 21, <laughs> 22. Yeah. I'm already on 24. <laughs> and then in the film, you have that great moment when he goes up, takes off all the people on the top of it, swings around, kills them, and we kill all of these arrows going into it yeah. and then slides down the tail and jumps off landing perfectly as chaos is completely behind him yeah to which Gimli says that still only counts as one <laughs> brilliant brilliant he is a great character for what the uh, one liner is this Gimli chap slightly off tangent now talking about the films but I was watching one of the cast videos mm. the, you know the direct the DVD extras and um, someone was saying that he didn't like to rehearse the fight scenes Gimli 
Yeah, Gimli or the, the actor. So he'd just be like, right, who am I fighting? I'm fighting you. Right, yes. You come at me and I'll hit you. <laughs> then you. Then you. And, um, and they were saying, to him, well, don't worry too much about, you know, if you hit us occasionally, don't, you know, don't worry about it because they're stuntmen. They're okay. Yeah. They're just, yes, fine, fine, fine. And he hit them every single time. <laughs> and they were quite scared of fighting him in the end because he didn't need to just attack them I'd, I reckon I'd struggle with that if I was told to act I'd want to if, unless he went full on mm. I'd be conscious of acting it the whole time yeah remember there's then Band of Brothers and uh, the Second World War drama and they were talking about filming that and there was a scene where they were like doing covering fire yeah and obviously they're you know they're kind of doing all this stuff and one of them saying like he's gun jammed yeah and he was just like furious with like fear and the adrenaline he was <laughs> properly in the moment yeah like, oh my god my gun's jammed yeah 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 definitely yeah. i would although i'd be really concerned if i was filming that that um i'd get up on the parapet or whatever or the sandbags <laughs> and um i'd hold the gun and then just go bah, 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 with my mouth <laughs> <laughs> i think you and mcgregor did that in star wars with that he they had to stop him going vroom, vroom, with yeah the lightsaber because yeah making the noise exactly i'd do that the other thing with him was apparently he was allergic to the, like the um, prosthetics. John Rhys Davis, the actor who played the actor that played Gimli. Yeah. So when he was fighting, he could only see this sort of very narrow field of vision. So you can see the way that he fights; it's very kind of direct. Oh right, okay. I thought um, I, that does actually ring a bell the way he moves like that. Mm. Anyway, so it's all looking a little bit dodgy. We've got a massive uh, detail there. Yeah. The battle's looking dodgy because the, they're facing overwhelming forces, and then. The Corsairs, who are men from the south, evil men from the south, arrive on their boats up the River Anduin. So these enemy ships arrive and they think, oh, this is the end. Mm -hmm. Can't do anything about it. But then the banner unfurled is the standard that Arwen sent to Aragorn. So with the army of the dead, he'd captured these ships and it's now him and his rangers and Gimli and Legolas. Get right up close and then reveal who you are. Yes, this great moment where they think the day is lost and then he unfurls his standard jumps off the ships and they go Ray! exactly sword held aloft i assume it must have Good. been sword held aloft so they fight through it still takes quite a long time but the day is won mm. and they win the battle right it's not all over yet of course a lot of people are rather wounded so aragorn <laughs> um, helps to win over um the people of gondor by um tending to the wounded in the houses of healing because he's a very skilled healer as you'll see later so merry faramir and eowyn are all effectively saved by Aragorn ah. at this point, which is nice. He's acclaimed as king, but he lays aside his claim for the moment. He's not going to enter the city. He's not going to be king until they've dealt with Sauron, until the war is over. He doesn't want to cause any mm. disruption until that point. But what are they going to do? Because Sauron, although he's had a bit of a loss, he's still got overwhelming forces at his disposal, mm. and he will attack again. And the next time he attacks, they're probably not going to be able to see him off. But they've got this castle still, haven't they? They've still got it, and it's a bit better defended now than it was before, but still, it's one of those where, like like in a game of Risk, he's got far more than them, he can just keep on rolling the dice, and eventually yeah. they're going to roll a two. Okay. Um, and they've got to chuck the ring in the bonfire. Well, that is the crucial thing. Sauron is still going to win the second battle, but Faramir, before the battle, had seen Frodo, Sam, and Gollum, who had been guiding them to Mordor. At, they they'd got caught up in this battle as well, or they're just in no, the same like area. Before the battle, earlier uh, Faramir had seen them. Okay. So Faramir knows that actually they are now quite close to Gondor, mm. uh, to Gondor, sorry, to Mordor. Mordor. Yeah. So there is a chance that Frodo is actually now quite close to to Mount Doom, to mm. where he's 
trying to get to destroy the ring. So Gandalf tells them why they need to what they need to do. Sauron studies the signs. The sword that robbed him of his treasure remade, the winds of fortune turning in our favour, and the defeat unlooked for of his first assault, and the fall of his great captain, the Lord of the Nazgul, mm-hmm. that Eowyn killed. His doubt will be growing even as we speak. His eyes now straining towards us, blind almost to all else that is moving. So we must keep it. Therein lies our hope. We cannot achieve victory by arms, but by arms we can give the ring-bearer his only chance, frail though it may be. So this is the point where the uh, the eye is like a spotlight looking round, and it's, only, it's getting really strongly just knowing that the ring's close by. No, it doesn't know that the ring's close by because he's distracted by everything that's going on in Gondor. Ah. So they think if we can keep him focused on us, mm. Frodo's got a chance of getting through unseen. So they should keep giving him little... Um, Little images of Merry or Pippin through their <laughs> magic stone. Touch the stone, go. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. I'm over here. Is it this one? Ooh. Mm, yeah. Who knows? Have a fake you know, H Samuel ring on. They know that he's close now, Frodo. So mm. it's really the end game. Mm. So Aragorn and Gandalf lead out an army from Gondor to the Black Gates of Mordor itself. Right. Um, the Battle of Moranon, this becomes. It's an impossibly large force that they're facing, so they basically are assuming that they are going to be defeated and killed in right. this act. But what they're hoping is that it's going to distract Sauron for long enough to give Frodo time to destroy the ring. And then all the forces fade away. And then Sauron is defeated, His everything comes crumbling down, mm-hmm. and they win. Okay. When they come to the gates, uh, the mouth of Sauron, so it's a a person speaking for him, basically, claims that they've captured Frodo. And as proof, he shows them Frodo's um, sort of mithril uh, coat, the the armour, and his cloak and a blade that Frodo had as well. And he says that, you know, unless you surrender, you know, we won't release him, we'll kill him, so you've got to stand down and pledge yourself to the Dark Lord. Mm. Gandalf, however, does not believe him. Mm. And instead, he takes the items back, and battle begins. He just says, I'll have those. I guess it's, it's not very clear. I'm not sure exactly how he does it, but he's just, yoink! Yeah. He is, he is um, Graham, after all. Graham he's, Gandalf. he's Gandalf Graham. So, they have a battle. Death seems certain, but unseen to Aragorn and all down there. Frodo, uh, Sam and Gollum are now at Mount Doom. On the edge of the fire, Frodo decides that actually, like Isildur, he can't give up the ring. He still wants it for himself. After all that. After all that. And he waits till then to make that decision. <laughs> he waits till then. It's not that he waits till to make that decision. It's when it comes to it, he can't do it. He won't destroy the ring. And the ring the doesn't ring. want to be destroyed. Oh, okay. Right, either, yeah. Obviously. Yeah. But Gollum has chased him. And Gollum and Frodo fight for the ring. Frodo puts it on. But Ga- Gollum jumps onto him, bites off his finger with the Ooh. ring. Takes the ring for himself, but stumbles off the edge and falls into the fires of Mount Doom with the ring. The ring is thus destroyed. Oh. And with it, Sauron is destroyed. His tower comes tumbling down. The Nazgul are put to flight, put to flight taken away. The skies are free again, allowing the great eagles to come along and rescue Sam and Frodo from the slopes of Mount Doom as it's erupting. Right. The army disperses. It is victory. But mm. he didn't really, he didn't really get rid of the ring. I mean, does anyone else, does anyone find out that he chickened out of 
doing it at the end. <laughs> like, so how did you actually throw it? Did you say anything? Ah, you know, yeah, it's didn't, didn't, too many questions. Didn't seem appropriate. Oh, God, my head. Uh, yeah. So hard. Ring destroying. Yeah. It's gone. That's all you need to know. <laughs> yeah. I'm here. Shut up, Sam. It's yeah. all fine. Exactly. So it is one, and we move into, not quite, but pretty much, into the fourth age. Right. Now, this is the bit of the cinema where I thought, well, we're going to be out of here in five minutes, <laughs> and the film went on for another 40 or something mental. Now, I mean, if you, wa- if you read the book, you'll discover that you get to this point and there's like another 150 pages. Yeah. You wouldn't believe how much ending that the film actually cut out. Really? There's like an entire battle in Hobbiton that the Hobbits have to fight. Why? Because uh, Saruman had gone to Hobbiton and industrialised it all and made it nasty, so the Hobbits have to raise a rebellion and fight a great battle. And he he'd got he'd too much. There's a lot of stuff going. He actually much. wrote to his son how he's going to tie up every loose end, even Sam's horse pill had to have its loose end tied up. So if you thought that the film took a while, actually, it's pretty. It, it skips oh, through at a fair word. old rate. We have the houses of healing where everybody's kind of chilling out and getting a bit better. We've got to find a tree sapling to plant. Which, there's a lot of stuff in the book. I'm not going to go through it all in detail now, yeah, but they, they do cut out quite a lot in the film. Right. In the immediate aftermath, Frodo and Sam are rescued mm. by eagles, taken to recover at Ithilien, which is also in Gondor, um, and they are reunited with the rest of the Fellowship. Right. Apart from Boromir, obviously. Yes, dead. He's the only mm. one that died. Yes, of the um, of the fellowship. That's yeah. surprising. He's the only one. Yeah, yeah. Poor Boromir. And there's some good news for Eowyn. Yeah. <clears throat> In the houses of healing. Yes, she's the wine lady, not the dwar- uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, not the elf. Yeah, she gets to meet Faramir, who is also recovering. Yeah, and they strike up a romance, and they fall in love. She is desperate to get married, <laughs> this woman, isn't she? Well, initially she doesn't want to, and Aragorn's quite worried when he's tending to her in the Houses of Healing. He says her wounds will recover, but he can see that basically he's broken her heart, and he thinks, I'm not going to be able to bring mm. her back. But thankfully, Faramir does. Okay, good. they agree to marry, and Aragorn gives her his blessing, and it's all happy. Does, is it, Faramir and is the son of the Rohan chap, right? No, that's Aemir. Oh, he's son of the Gondor chap then. Yeah. So it's not like they're related, wine lady and him. No, 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 no. Okay, right. Phew. <laughs> it's all fine. Bad news. I'm not sure I can. <laughs> I will retract my finger from the scandal bell. And we have the coronation. <sighs> Go on. Which, in normal terms, for us would be like be great. the I'd first be, bullet point, wouldn't it? I'd be waiting for the horse to come down backwards down the <laughs> nave. I'm afraid it seems like they've uh, prepared for this quite well. Mm. Faramir offers to surrender the stewardship of Gondor now that the king has returned, but Aragorn says, no, you keep that office, as shall your heirs. She'll continue to have a steward who'll care for the kingdom when I'm not here and all that sort of stuff. So that's nice. Um, Faramir gives him the crown, but uh, Aragorn (laughs) um, then requests that Frodo bring him the crown. To the wonder of many, Aragorn did not put the crown upon his head, but gave it back to Faramir and said, By the labour and valour of many I have come into my inheritance. In token of this, I would have the ring-bearer bring the crown to me, and let Mithrandir, which is the elf name for Gandalf, the Grey Wanderer, set it upon my head. So Frodo brings him the crown, and then Gandalf 
set the white crown upon his head, and said, Now comes the days of the king, and may they be blessed while the thrones of the Valar endure. End film. While Aragorn, uh, when Aragorn rose, all that beheld him gazed in silence, for it seemed to them that he was revealed to them now for the first time. Tall as the sea kings of old, he stood above all that were near, ancient of days he seemed, and yet in the flower of manhood. And wisdom sat upon his brow, and strength and healing were in his hands, and a light was about him. And then Faramir cried, Behold the king! And in that moment all the trumpets were blown, and the king Alessar went forth, and came to the barrier, and Hurin of the keys thrust it back, and amid the music of harp and of viol and of flute, and the singing of clear voices, the king passed through the flower-laden streets. You read all this? Yes, I did. Oh, my word. It's happy times. Yeah. They've defeated the Dark Lord, the yeah. king is back. Mm. It's all lovely. Good. So, Aragorn is king. Yeah. As I said, we then have a very uh, extensive... Ah, before we have the extensive goodbye, actually, he gets married. To... To Arwen, Arwen. because he is now king. He has now shown himself worthy. Oh, yeah. So, Elrond brings Arwen to Gondor. They get married. She becomes his queen. And he gives him that scepter that he wouldn't give him before. Mm. So, they have Theoden's funeral. Aragorn gave his blessing to Eowyn. And then they all depart together. Mm-hmm. So Aragorn accompanies all the way down to Isengard, and all thank. And we're following this in the book all the way down. <laughs> and then they part ways, and then we follow the hobbits, but we're not going to do that today. The one ring is destroyed, which means that all the other rings lose their power. So the one that Elrond had, that Galadriel had, that kept Rivendell oh. and powerful... They're they no, no longer have their power either. All the other rings are go, so but the that's... elves have really diminished... But it still means they, they, they still live forever, elves, don't they? They do, but it's now time for them to depart Middle-earth. So they go off on the ship to the Undying Lands, and they take with them Bilbo, but also Frodo. Oh, really? There is a ring-bearer, and he no longer really fits in. The experience has changed him. So they're allowed to take out all the ring-bearers with them? They do seem to make that exception. Okay. They do take Frodo off with them. Um, so they just know that it's their time, like elephants going to a great elephant graveyard. They just yeah, know. Exactly. Okay. They know that it's time to go. Aragorn sets about regaining the lost territory of the kingdom, reuniting the kingdom as well mm. from all the evil men, and oversees a rule of peace and prosperity. Uh, well, subjectivity points. Mm. He finally dies in um, the f- 120 in the Fourth Age, mm. at the age of a. No. So, not 100. Mm-hmm. 210 years oh, of old. Of course. Merry and Pippin had died a little earlier, so they uh, are buried alongside him in Gondor. Sam had also got to go to the Undying Lands because he did briefly take the ring oh, yeah, when Frodo was captured, so he's a ring bearer. Um, and then when he hears about Aragorn's death, Legolas gets a boat, takes Gimli with him, and together they sail off to the Undying Lands. Gimli gets to go. Gimli gets to go. Just because he's mate. So it's said. We don't mm. know about this, but so it's said. And the fellowship has come to an end. But and, of course, oh. we've left. We've left Arwen. Yeah. She's not ready to go. The funny thing with Aragorn, he's like an elephant as well. <laughs> that um, Never men forgets. don't fear death. Loves buns. So they embrace it. So he thinks it's my time to go, and he willingly gives up his life. But she isn't ready to let him go. So she is said to wither away in grief. Oh, she leaves. Dear. Leaves um, Gondor. Vic- Queen Victoria. 
It's very Queen Victoria, isn't it? Um, she says, says goodbye to her children, goes away, passes to the land of Lorien, where her mother was from, where she oh, used yeah. to be, and then dwelt there alone under the fading trees until winter came. There at last she laid herself to rest upon Cerin Amroth, where they had pledged themselves mm-hmm. to each other all those years before. And there is her green grave until the world is changed, and all the days of her life are utterly forgotten by men that come after, and Eleanor and Nifredel, the flowers that he gave her, bloom no more east of the sea. Uh, she had a good innings, though, didn't she? It's sort of good two, few thousand two years. Two thousand years, her, yeah. yeah. Good few thousand. And that is Aragorn's story. Okay. Fourth Age is not very well chronicled by Tolkien. He decided it probably wasn't very interesting. Tolkien himself copped it after yeah. this, did he? Uh, okay. well, no, he? No, he had plenty of time. He just thought, ah, he thought about doing a direct sequel, but he never oh. actually did. So that is Aragorn. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's his life, that's his reign. But of course, we also have to review him. We do. Now, we do this on the regular, new listeners, we do this on the regular series with yes, actual historic characters, people. Not yep. characters. So we rate them by a number of factors. Mm. We'll each give a score out of 10, so it'll be out of 20 ultimately. Mm. So the first one is... Battleliness! This is obviously... This he's, is uh, a, yeah. he's really pretty good at all of this. We've got his early years where he serves as Thorin Gill, mm. um, a young man in Rohan and Gondor. Apparently in um, 2980, in the Third Age, he helped uh, to uh, defeat the Corsairs of Umbar and personally killed their ruler in this great oh. naval engagement. Right. When he was a ranger? Yes, is when he's a ranger. Okay. In his younger days. So that's very well thought of. Mm. But there are some really big battles. First up, we've got the Battle of the Hornburg. That's the one that is known as Helm's Deep. Otherwise known as Helm's Deep. So as I said, Helm's Deep is the valley rather than the defence itself. Mm. Um, We've got that massive orc army. They arrive at night in the midst of a really terrible storm. Mm-hmm. And um, they're trying to scale the walls, but initially they're not able to get over. And Aragorn is there with Aemir, pushing them back. He's the right time. in the thick of it. All He's the time. right in the thick of it. He is leading the uh, the defences. <clears throat> At one point, he said the men of Rohan grew weary. All their arrows were spent, and every shaft was shot. Their swords were notched, and their shields were riven. Three times Aragorn and Aemir rallied them, and three times Andril, his sword, flamed in a desperate charge that drove the enemy from the wall. So he was doing it all, like when they were knackered, he was saying, look, come on. Come on, chaps. Okay. He was doing, who's the chap in um, uh, Game of Thrones? uh, Tyrion. Tyrion, like that. Like that, Mm. but um, (laughs) six foot six. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, true. Same hair colour, though. Mm. Uh, But then, as you said earlier, the orcs are able to find the weakest part of the wall, which is where the stream goes underneath. Now... If you are a fan of Rex Factor, you might well have listened to our previous special, or our special on um, Castles of Wales, my mm. dissertation. There always is that weak point, the postern gate, mm. where they just go, well, tell you what, we'll, we'll do all this planning for the big attack. Actually, let's just go through the back door, shall we? <laughs> Straightforward. Rubbish. Because, as we also said in the previous special, you need water supplies, yeah. don't you? Annoying. So they break through the walls. Aragorn covers the retreat as everybody goes back into the castle. Near the bottom of the stairway stood Aragorn. In his hand still Andril gleamed, and the terror of the sword for a while held back the enemy, as one by one all who could gain the stair passed up the gate. Mm. So that's good, he's protecting so, everybody, everybody else gets in. So he's on a staircase. Bottom yeah. of the staircase. And he's fighting off this orc army. So Just, they've got through the walls, mm. 
and he's giving time for people to retreat within the actual castle itself. Okay. Which he does. They then have that looks like it's going to be sort of heroic final charge into the orcs yeah. when all is lost. So you've got Aragorn with Theoden charging with swords mm. held out into the orcs, which is pretty cool. Yes, very good. Then, of course, Gandalf appears at the top of the ridge with about a thousand new troops, yeah. which is very handy. Also, the Ents apparently had created a new forest behind the orcs. So when the orcs try to run away, they just run into a forest. Ah, that's cool. I never knew that bit. Can they just that's sort of not set in the roots? film, I don't think. Oh. Yeah, they can just set roots. They may even just move the forest. Oh, that's really good of them. So that is victory, and it's a very important victory because if we had had Saruman's forces winning here, yeah. Rohan would not have been able to ride to the defence of Gondor. Well, hang on. Let me process that. If that hadn't happened, then Gondor would have gone. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's a crucial, and if Gondor had gone, yeah, it's the all whole it all comes tumbling down, and it also completely neutralises Saruman as a force in the war. Mm. So he is now taken out by all of this. Yeah. So even if, um, so if the other, the big eye in the sky, Sauron, Sauron, he has lost an ally, even though they weren't yeah. with each other. It's just another, mm. another person to have a go at this chap. Yeah. Mm. But if Saruman had won, you'd still have Saruman all powerful, and you'd have Sauron. Yeah. Okay. It's going to be game over. We then have the Battle of the Pelennor Fields. Yeah. Which is the one in Gondor at Minas Tirith. Mm. Now, this is it's only actually about 12 days later, so it's all kind of happening rather, mm. rather soon after the other. Initially, Gondor was on its own because the Riders of Rohan hadn't got there, and Aragorn, of course, is coming from the Path of the Dead. Mm. So he's not actually involved in a lot of the early stages, and they have a pretty nasty time of it. You've got the Lord of the Nazgul flying around. Yeah, that was good, that bit. I enjoyed that. Giving lots of terror to everybody. Mm. He's got a force of about 30,000 orcs, men, and trolls, and all sorts. Mm. The enemy dig really deep trenches just out of reach of the archers, uh, defending. Clever. Getting all their siege weapons. Yeah. And they fire it over the walls rather than into it. So we have catapults of stone, fire, and the most grim, the heads of Gondor soldiers that they'd killed. Gross. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, so it's all a bit grim at yeah. this point and then they have this huge battering ram called Grond which breaks through the gate and they get into the city and you have Gandalf and the Lord of the Nazgul face off against each other is this in the film? Uh, sort of I think I they're in that. the air when they're doing it right but um, they're, they're about to have a fight but that's when Theoden arrives is Gandalf on a big bird? no I think in the film Gandalf is on a horse on a higher level. Okay. And the Nazgul is on its mm. flying beast. On Big Bird. On Big Bird, yes. So, Norda Nazgul goes out to deal with Rohan. Initially, Theoden and um, Rohan do pretty well. Theoden claims the northern part of the battlefield. He charges into the Haradrim, the men of the south, the evil men, and takes out their leader. Theoden's horse is killed mm. and falls on top of him and mortally wounds him. Who had their horse um, fall on top of them in Rex Factor. Was it a Georgian? Uh, oh, we had it with William the Lion when he leads the charge um, oh. and gets captured by Henry II. Yeah, he had a yeah, horse yeah, fall on top that's of right, it. yeah. Mm. And we were assuming, talking about him writing home. Yeah, yeah. remember. <laughs> anyway, so Theoden um, is about to die. The Lord of the Nazgul is about to kill him. Mm. This is when Eowyn intervenes. Mm. Lady of Rohan. And a hobbit. And Merry, the hobbit. Mary. Now, initially, she is disguising herself as a man mm. 
So when she um, prepares to stop him, he mocks her because, as he says, Hinder me, thou fool. No living man may hinder me. Ah, it's like a riddle. But no living man am I. You look upon a woman. Eowyn I am, Eowyn's daughter. You stand between me and my lord and kin. Begone if you not be deathless. For living or dark undead, I will smite you if you touch him. And then Stavi. Yeah, so initially I think uh, Merry stabs him mm. with a poison blade, like under his knees or something, and then Eowyn finishes him off. Okay, right, double team. Now, this is quite reminiscent, I thought a little bit, um, Eowyn as a character, I suppose, maybe of Ethelflaed of Mercia. Remember um, Alfred the Great's daughter, the Lady of the Mercians? Yeah. The one that kind of effectively became a sort of queen mm. alongside Edward the Elder. Oh, and she's leading yes. her troops into battle. Yeah. And doing lots of cool stuff. Yeah, or a bit Boudicca with her looks, yeah. as she was described earlier. Exactly. Um, we've also got a bit of a Macbeth comparison here, like you're saying, with that little riddle. So with Macbeth, he had the prophecy, no man of woman born shall harm That's Macbeth. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah. yeah. In Macbeth, it's that Macduff um, was effectively delivered by Caesarian. Yeah. So he's untimely ripped from his mother. Mm. Here, no man, she is no man, she's a woman. Mm. I've got a riddle for you. Go on. What is born and walks on four legs, then on two legs, and then on three? I don't know. What is born, walks on four legs, then on two legs, then on three? A human. Crawls around, then walks around, then has a little stick. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. Something we've all to look forward to. Um, so we've got fighting on two fronts, but as I said, the enemy troops all very bad. But then Aragorn arrives in this great dramatic moment, unveils his banner on the ships. Mm. Everyone thought that uh, it was the enemy. In fact, it's him. Fights his way into the middle where he meets with Aema, leader now of the Rohan troops. Despite being in the thick of the fighting, apparently Aragorn is completely unhurt because he's so amazing. <laughs> Not a scratch on it. Yeah. And again, this stops Sauron taking out Gondor. It stops him pouring his forces into Middle-earth. So although, in a way, it was only a temporary respite, it's another very yeah. important... Well, it, yeah, another temporary respite. So it's either the first one stopped um, them overrunning Gondor, this one stopped them having the ability to overrun Gondor, and the third one that you're coming to is the climax. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, the third one, in a way, it's not a great victory, but mm. it's this sort of heroic self-sacrifice that, yeah. they know that we've got to fight this. Like you sort of have in some of the Second World War sort of campaigns where you have, like, a false attack yeah. where you know that that army's going to get wiped yeah. out, but it allows the real one to succeed because the enemy has dispersed yeah. its forces. It is clever. Accordingly. It, but you're reliant on the um, the You are reliant attack. on the other one, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But it does work. Mm. So we've got some pretty massive battles. We've yeah. got Aragorn in the thick of the fighting. Inspirational, leading all these great victories. But? Well, there is a little bit of um, extent to which he's not always so successful. He does suffer some setbacks. Mm -hmm. Early on, when he's escorting the hobbits to Rivendell, mm -hmm. um, they get attacked at Weathertop, and Frodo gets wounded oh, yeah. by a poison blade. Mm-hmm. And um, Aragorn does heal him a little bit, but it's only by getting to Rivendell quickly enough that they don't lose Frodo completely. Yeah, not the best bodyguarding there. Uh, in the Mines of Mori, of course, Gandalf is killed by the Balrog. Yeah. Not entirely his fault, because he didn't really want to go there. Yeah. But it's, you know, 
a pattern, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, certainly, especially after his snow expedition as well. And then at uh, Amon Hen, the fellowship breaks up and Boromir is killed by orcs and Merry and Pippin uh, get captured. Yeah, though they're not... Um, that's just bad bodyguarding, I think, and maybe he was um, better at battliness. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. He's also a little bit lucky at times. Some of these great victories aren't necessarily entirely... It's not like he has taken out every last person and it's like, aha, I've killed you all. He has to be delivered from defeat. Yeah, twice. Yeah, so at Helm's Deep, or the Battle of the Hornburg, you know, again, he's kind of making this sort of heroic, self-sacrificing charge. It's the same story, isn't it? Yeah, but then Gandalf comes to the rescue and then at the Black Gates of Mordor, again, they're not going to win that battle, but it's only because of Frodo destroying the ring well yeah, yeah. Frodo heroically destroying the ring the ring being destroyed is what destroys and defeats Sauron so yeah. they don't actually win the battle they just fight it to enable something else to happen so and the middle one he's the guy who comes along and saves the day exactly that's the difference that Pelennor Field he rescues them from what looks like certain defeat so that's his high point really that one isn't it yeah mm. so what would you give as a score for this chap well Bearing in mind, I don't want to break the spell or the illusion here, it's a fictional character. Mm-hmm. I still think this is pretty good. Mm. I mean, we've got three pitched battles. Yeah. Pitched battles for the kingdom. Yeah. Um, each one, if you failed, then... It's all over. It's all over. Um, uh, the first one, yes, he might have been lucky, but he was doing proper Rex Factor sword held aloft business. Mm. Second one, just a brilliant victory. Yeah. Third one, um, it was a tactic to give the other fella time, so that's quite clever. Yeah. You need a bit of luck. You do. But um, I'm not going to count anything against him. I think the bad bodyguarding was just that. Mm. It's not really his battliness. Like uh, in the in the in the individual scuffles, there he's not hurt. Yeah. He does manage to command an army of the dead, which is pretty cool. It's pretty good. Uh, what else is there? It's a nine. He's mm. got all that marching as well. Yeah. It's got to be a nine, really. I was thinking nine as well. I think it's like the the lack of the ten maybe is just because he's not, as he acknowledges himself, he's not alone in all of this. And mm. actually he does rely on... Gandalf. Gandalf and then Frodo ultimately to make yeah. some pretty crucial interventions. Yeah, But... You definitely want him on your side if you're going to be fighting a battle. Yeah, I mean, I think as far as he, what he can do as a man, or you know, a tall old one at that, <laughs> he's doing. It's not bad for a man in his hundreds. No, exactly. <laughs> he's doing everything he possibly can. He's fighting against magic forces, and so the fact that he's reliant on someone else who's got Graham coming along doing the magic yeah. as well, that's fine. Mm. You know, you need to like for like, but there's the bits that he can do. Brilliant. Mm. So that's an 18 for battliness. That's pretty good. We, we've never had an 18. We've had a 20. Have we? Henry V. Oh, yeah. But he wasn't human. <laughs> like this guy. <laughs> Scandal. So in this category, we uh, consider the extent to which he has created naughty and infamous, uh, infamous deeds, misdoing bedroom antics, corruption... There was that one moment on top of the hill where mm. Steve Tyler's daughter and him had exchanged romantic words. Did they? I reckon this is all giant <laughs> euphemisms. <laughs> uh, so I am 
whether it's it was intended or not what was the quote uh, i can't quite remember what it was that actually set you off <laughs> all those all those dodgy phrasings i think that's a, a big two <laughs> The only, I mean, I couldn't really think of anything. The only thing I wondered a little bit was that, you know, he he maybe is a little bit guilty of leading Eowyn on slightly. He could have maybe done a little bit more not yeah. to, you know, to discourage her. And or... actually, ultimately, killing his wife. Well, she had to choose, didn't she? And she died because she fancied him. Oh, Arwen. Yeah. Cho- yeah, ultimately died because he yeah. chose to die when she was still... Three. <laughs> I'm giving him three. <laughs> okay. Um, an interesting thing with uh, the Aowen-Aragorn relationship is that t- apparently Tolkien did originally consider having them as the love story. D- uh, before, he the conce- love story. before he conceived of Arwen. Oh, right, okay. And that love yeah. story initially was going to be Aragorn and Eowyn of Rohan. Because it would have married up those two f- areas, wouldn't it? Rohan and Gondor. Mm. Which eventually mm. he does with Faramir marrying her. Oh, so yeah. that marries yeah. the two things together. But so he maybe can thought about Eowyn dying and then Aragorn would have grieved her and yeah. never married and all that kind of stuff. But that maybe suggests that in writing it, although he redid it that Eowyn loved him but Aragorn doesn't love her back, that there was still that Does he frisson. have kids? Oh, we'll find out. We'll find yeah. that out later. Mm. Um, and it's funny in a way, like if this were your sort of classic story, that would be the love story in a way because, you know, she's the feisty shield maiden... Yeah, the king. In a normal story, Aragorn would be the hero, yeah, rather than the hobbits. Obviously, he is in this episode. He is anyway in the film. Like, what do the hobbits do? Really, they've just got a backpack on, going for a walk mostly, yeah. and then fail to do the business at the end. The one thing, <laughs> literally, the one thing they had to do. Um, and then, uh, so yeah, I think that's very, very good. And also, uh, bearing to try and get any scandal out of a book that's written to have, paint him as the total hero, yeah. whiter than white, is difficult. But I think we've, we've found something there. I'm not sure we really have. I think you've a uh, dirty mind I've def- for that. <laughs> <laughs> There's three slippery <laughs> scandal points. Uh, I'm going to give him a zero oh. for scandal. I don't think it is really scandal. He maybe doesn't... Killed his wife! He didn't really kill her. <laughs> he was dead at the time. Yeah. Yeah, the the perfect crime. Mm. Anyway, that is a three for Scandal. Subjectivity. We do have some lovely stuff here. Oh. Mm. Again, a bit of a Macbeth comparison. In Macbeth, Edward the Confessor is uh, healing. Um, so it's the king's touch, curing for the king's evil oh, yeah. in Macbeth. What do they call that? Um, what's it called? Scoffler. Scoffler. Yeah. yeah. Um, but... Aragorn doesn't isn't touching that, but he is an incredibly uh, capable healer. Even Gandalf acknowledges in the Houses of Healing after the battle, Pelennor Fields, for it is only in the coming of Aragorn that any hope remains for the sick that lie in the house. Ah. So he uses this special flower, Athelas, mm. and uh, it's not quite sure exactly what goes on, but it all sounds rather magical. Um, when he kneels beside Faramir holds a hand upon his brow, and those that watched felt that some great struggle was going on, for Aragorn's face grew grey with weariness, and ever and anon he called the name of Faramir, but each time more faintly to their hearing, as if Aragorn himself was removed from them, and walked afar in some dark vale, calling for one that was lost. So he's sort of magic himself. He's got a certain uh, little Hmm. magical ability, certainly with the healing. Um, After he's cured Faramir and Eowyn and Merry 
and he's fought that massive battle, and he had to go another huge distance. Oh, he's run off his feet, this man, isn't he? He's quite tired, yeah. so he's going to go to bed at this point. But then everyone comes along and starts asking him to heal their friends uh, yeah. and their loved ones, so he stays up all the night along with the sons of Elrond, huh? healing as many people as he can. And thus, obviously, people think, oh, this king's all right, isn't he? He's a bit too good, isn't he? Is he a bit Alfred-y for oh, your liking? Oh, he's beginning to get really <laughs> Alfred-y. Uh, if bet if gods existed in this place, he'd be seriously pious. And he is lovely to everyone. Yeah. He does do well. So when he first, after the battle, he could have stormed in and said, right, I'm king now, bow down before me. Yeah. But he recognises that there are going to be tensions. They haven't had a king for, you know, a few thousand years. So it's a bit of a new concept for people. Um, I fear that if I enter it unbidden, then doubt and debate may arise, which not be while this war is fought. I will not enter in nor make any claim until it be seen whether we or mortal shall prevail. I have no mind for strife except with our enemy and his servants. Mm. So he sort of puts aside his, basically his destiny for the moment the good of the kingdom and for the good of the war he keeps doing that though he does this self-sacrifice yeah, yeah. i mean it's all very good he's very merciful so the men who have been fighting for sauron afterwards he forgives them he sends them back to their lands slaves of mordor are freed and given their own lands to rule for themselves now if ever a man needed some sex with nuns <laughs> it is this guy i mean lord above And uh, it's just generally good times. The city was made more fair than it had ever been, even in the days of its first glory, and was filled with trees and with fountains. Its gates were wrought of mithril and steel. Its streets were paved with white marble. The houses were filled with men and women and the laughter of children, etc., etc. It's a golden age. It's a golden age. Nine. He's also got a lot of responsibility in his shoulders because, as you said, the elves and Gandalf as well mm. all leave at this point. And where do they go? To the Undying Lands. Oh, of course they do, yeah. Gandalf goes as well. Gandalf goes as well. As, you know, Aragorn said um, when Gandalf reminds him of this, I know it well, dear friend, but I would still have your counsel. To which Gandalf says, not for long now. The third age was my age. I was the enemy of Sauron and my work is finished. I shall go soon. The burden must lie now upon you and your kindred. So Aragorn, effectively, in our post-war world, he's the one that has to do all the rebuilding. All the elves, all the wizards have all gone. It's all on Aragorn's shoulders. Because this fourth age is the age of men. Yeah. Right. So he has to reunite this kingdom, which has been split for 3,000 years. Mm. He's got to get peace. There's still a bit of fighting that does have to go on, actually. So the men who still keep on fighting, he goes off and deals with them. Right. He's got to do all of this stuff together. There's a lot of a lot of stuff on his shoulders. And that is an awful lot of admin. It's a lot of admin. <laughs> he seems to be doing it pretty well. Okay. I don't imagine there's anything against him for subjectivity, is there? I couldn't really think of anything no. that he doesn't do well. It, I mean, it is very much whiskers on kittens and bright yeah. woolen mittens or whatever the phrase is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a bit too squeaky clean for me, but I'm not going to deny him a ten. I think it's got to be. I mean, it's, and it's, as we'll see, it's a pretty long reign as well. So this is a long period mm. of golden age and joy and joy and joy. If this were a medieval king of Britain, yeah. as we sort of imagine, if you took away the magic, it's mm. medieval times. Yeah. Um, we've never had one as good as that, have we? No. Longevity. 
So this is how many years did he rule for? Mm. Well, do we have a patiometer equivalent? What's it? Uh, he might break yeah. our um, our measuring system. He rules from the first of May in thirteen nineteen. I love the way it's thirteen nineteen, but they still have May. Yeah, <laughs> the world is still the world. It's in but May. Aren't they named after like uh, Roman gods and things? Well, I mean, to be fair, it's th- it's like thirty one oh five. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so the first first of May thirteen nineteen was the third age to one hundred and twenty of the fourth age. Two hundred. Well, there's a couple of years of crossover. So that he basically takes over right at the end of the third age. So it's actually a mere one hundred and twenty two years as king. That is definitely the biggest reign we've ever had. I think that is unquestionably mm-hmm. a big reign. What age does he come to the throne? Uh, oh, so he was 210 when he died, and he's king for 122 years, so I'll let you do the maths. Eight, 78? Oh, no, he's older than that. He's eight, I think he's about 87 when all the Lord of the Rings stuff kicks off. Is he? Yeah. <laughs> right, okay. I thought so he he's maybe, his... I guess, up to 90 or something. Is he Late maybe? 30s, I think. But he's, he's an older one, isn't he? But he's, he's older, got, and they yeah. grow old. So the point with all the age stuff, of course, is that he's in his prime in this period, basically, mm. when it's the Lord of the Rings period. So he looks yeah. kind of in his 30s or early 40s yeah. and a you know, physical peak. Mm. He doesn't look like he's in his 80s. No. No, he certainly doesn't. Mm. It would have been pretty difficult to dress Patrick Stewart up as Aragorn, <laughs> wouldn't it? <laughs> Patrick Moore. <laughs> Any Patrick's you name to shake a stick at. Dynasty. Not the program. So this is how many legitimate surviving children uh-huh. does he have? He is succeeded by his son, Eldarion. Right. And he also has two daughters, we think, that Tolkien doesn't seem to be interested in naming. <laughs> right. But nevertheless, that is three children. Okay, so they set, he really was setting up for this sequel, so he could have just one heir. Yeah. Presumably, primogeniture. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, and so, so that successful dynasty after all that, all exactly. that toing and froing. He passes on the line of kings. Mm. Still, it's not very high score for someone that scored so well. No, but I mean, I guess for the more pious, uh, serious, yeah. not doing all of that sort of stuff, maybe he's not. Mm, he's not concentrating yeah. the mind quite as fully on that. Yeah. Exactly. But I mean, it's going to be. I mean, we can't really turn that 120 two-year reign into a score out of 20, no. but I think if we were to call it 20... Shall we? I yeah. think we should probably call it 20. Yeah. So we've got... What have we got? Oh, and what would the three be? I don't know. Let's just call it three. Three for dynasty, 20 for longevity. 23. 20 for subjectivity. 43. Three for scandal. 46. And 18 for battliness. 56. Uh, 62. Which is not a bad score. I is think still it? would bring him under Edward the First. Yes, aha, <laughs> fantastic! Even with so, a man who reigned for over a hundred years cannot beat our man Edward. Although, to be fair, if we were to convert Edward's score into one which was measured against a reign of one hundred and twenty years, it's fine. It's fine, Edward. Don't worry. Don't listen to that. But. There's one more question. Does mm. Aragorn have that certain something, that lasting legacy, that mark of greatness, that star quality that we call... Rex Factor! Any arguments against? Um, 
It's hard to think of a particularly compelling one. We've got this incredible warrior, this incredible traveller, this incredible <laughs> healer. Hmm. He wins these crucial battles, he saves the kingdom, he's dicing with the Dark Lord over a seeing stone, he creates a new dynasty, reunites the kingdom after thousands of years of uh, division, he sires a new dynasty, a golden age. And hundreds of years of peace. Yeah. I don't know, I don't know. No, it's got to be a yes, <laughs> isn't it? It has to be a big bat, yes. And it's a yes from me as well, so Aragorn has won the Rex Factor. Whee! Well done, well Aragorn. Done. You did very, very well there. Yes, well done. Well I mean, done. he had a lot on his plate. He really did. And I think now, when people discuss him in the future, to have that those sacred letters RF after his name yes. will, mean, will mean a lot to him. It will mean a lot. It's added mm. to his legacy after all these years. And perhaps you can now see, that, you know, see why he was perhaps a little bit uh, grim and thoughtful. I mean, he could have cracked the odd smile. I mean, (laughs) when you're a gloomy goose, just fake it. (laughs) So, that is it for Aragorn. Um, We're now going to uh, break, shatter the illusion a little bit Mm. and acknowledge the fact that it is all, of course, uh, a book. Behind the scenes of Rex Factor. Indeed, behind the scenes of Lord of the Rings. Oh, Lord of the Rings, In this case. Quick test for you. It's a classic pub quiz question. Mm. J.R.R. Tolkien. No idea. Have a go. What does the J-R-R stand for? I've just realised George R.R. Martin. I think is that he, a pen name? Well, I think the R... I, I, don't know what it, I don't know if he's just called George Martin. I mean, assume that the problem was that, obviously, then you think of the Beatles producer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, George Robert Richard Tolkien. Uh, George? <laughs> James <laughs> Robert J. Richard... For Homer, Homer J. Simpson. The J stands for genius. <laughs> Uh, it's in fact John oh, Ronald damn. Rule. I was never getting those. Uh, so Tolkien was born in 1892 in Bloemfontein in South oh, Africa. Interesting. Moved to England when he was three years old in sort of Birmingham-ish area. Apparently he was among uh, the cadets when he was young, lining the coronation parade for George V in oh, 1910. Wow. wow. That's a little link. Um, big moment in his life was, of course, the First World War. Yes. He's of that age. As we mentioned, the gas mask. Yes. But I'd also heard that um, he took inspiration for the for Mordor mm. from the belching chimneys, the fire and smoke of the Black Country. Yes, that is... Um, many people have uh, made that assertion. In fact, one such was the father of uh, Caitlin Moran. Huh? You know, the writer. The oh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. So her father, she wrote, was saying, the whole place glowed, the uh, black country in Midlands, this is. Sheets of spark, 50 foot high. The fires never went out. It looked like hell. That's what your Lord of the Rings is about. Tolkien from was round here. He was writing about how the Industrial Revolution turned the Midlands from Hobbiton to Mordor. Yeah. You know, my grandmother was from Birmingham, mm-hmm. and she claimed that we were related to Tolkien by marriage. I've mm. never investigated this. <laughs> so, are you the heir? To if anyone, um, if anyone, you know, does that kind of thing, let me know. So, the First World War, yeah, didn't actually join up initially, but his relatives gave him a whole load of grief. How old was he then at the start of it? Uh, so, 1892. So, it's prime which, then, yeah, yeah, prime age. Uh, but he does go out in 1916. Mm. Participates in the Somme campaign. Ooh. 
health problems meant he gets invalided home for quite a bit of the time. Lucky devil. Um, and then he becomes the professor of English language and literature at Merton College in Oxford. Yeah, yeah. Particularly um, noted for his work on Beowulf. Yeah, good gig, that. And uh, philology. Oh, what he? He really loves the study of language. Oh, oh. Of course he does. You can really tell from reading mm. Lord of the Rings because it's full of elvish yeah. and stuff. He creates language. And at the end of the Return of the King book, it's really, really big because there are all these appendices, yeah. which is where a lot of the extra information about um, all the history and stuff is. Mm. But there's also a whole section just on pronunciation <laughs> of stuff. So he, he really loves his language. Uh, he dies in 1973, mm. at age of 81, two years after his wife. And on her gravestone was written Luthien, and on his was written Beren, because there's a story from the old times in Lord of the Rings where Luthien was an elf who gave up her immortality to marry Beren. Oh, that's very sweet. But she why was his Luthien, he was his Beren. Arwen and Aragorn? Well, the thing is that Arwen and Aragorn effectively um, reflect on that. So Arwen's meant to look like Luthien, so when Aragorn first sees oh. her, he thinks, oh, this, is this Luthien I see mm. before me? So there's moments like, I think there's a, yeah, it is in the film as well, but there's a bit where he sings a song and it's of Luthien and Beren. So all these He sings legends, a song in the film? He sort of just sings... He does actually do a proper song in the film, but he's just kind of humming it to himself. Oh, right. But in the book, it's one of the, yeah. okay. the many songs. When he goes back to Cairn Amroth after mm. Gandalf dies, they go back to Lothlorien. So he goes to that mound where he and Arwen didn't do anything uh, improper. Uh, well, And he sings a song about Luthien and Frodo says, oh, who's this? And it's the woman oh. who's in effect the... That's very, very sweet, isn't Definitely. it, to have that on the graves. So the first big ease for him is writing The Hobbit. Yes. And apparently just one day when he was a professor of Anglo-Saxon, he was bored marking exam papers, and he just turned one sheet of paper open and from absolutely nowhere wrote, in a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. <laughs> and from that... And from that, uh, the book The Hobbit was published in 1936, very popular immediately, and the publisher, of course, asked him for a sequel. Sales now somewhere between 35 and 100 million apparently worldwide oh my word and then he does Lord of the Rings yeah often looked down on a bit by literary critics well I don't know you know <laughs> but apparently he was pointedly not writing a classic novel as such it was designed to be a heroic and heroic romance so you should be thinking more of like the Norse saga, the Icelandic sagas or of course of Beowulf Beowulf which is yeah a major yeah. influence it's meant to be in that tradition rather than right. yeah, the okay. modern novel um and apparently the reason he does it is he said he was really grieved at the fact that England doesn't have its own mythology and something that's really old and like bound up in the soil and in the language and all that sort of stuff. Isn't it? What about the um, Anglo-Saxon stuff? Well, it kind of ends up ultimately going back to sort of Germanic legends. Yeah. Oh, it? I see, rather than Celtic legends. Yeah, you've yeah. got the Celtic ones. Arthur, of course, is mm. kind of Welsh really more than yeah. he is. English, and you've got Roman things, Greek ones, Scandinavian ones. England doesn't have his own, his own one. So he said, I had a mind to make a body of more or less connected legend, ranging from the large and cosmogonic to the level of romantic fairy story, which I could dedicate simply to England. Oh, that's, that's sweet. So Middle-earth, mm. the world of Lord of the Rings... It's Midlands! The Midlands! Ah! And it's effectively intended to be our Earth in this sort of mythical time. Mm. So he sort of once said that the fall of Sauron is about 6,000 years ago, mm. which is basically in the Stone Age. Right. Which, in a f sort of way, kind of makes sense in the sense that it's a time at which there are no, obviously, written records or anything. So yeah. if there was some kind of disaster and it all goes wrong, yeah. 
you miss all of that sort of stuff. And he actually does have a certain logic to it. So Hobbiton apparently is roughly at the latitude of Oxford. I've heard that, yeah. And then if you come 600 miles south to Minas Tirith, you're at sort of roughly Florence. And the temperature changes and all that sort uh, of stuff. It gets warmer, it gets a bit more Mediterranean. Mm. So it does have a certain kind of mm. linking to all of it. He started writing it in 1937, so just a year after he published The Hobbit. doesn't finish it till 1949. I'm not surprised, though. It's a long time. It's a lot of work. Yeah. Um, now, it's technically meant to be one story, The Lord of the Rings. Yeah. But he actually split it into six volumes. What? But because of paper costs after the war... Yeah. They made that three. So there are two books in each of the books. So The Fellowship of the Ring has a book one and a book two. Two Towers has a book four, book oh, five. Oh, that's right, yeah. Three and four, and then five and six. Um, but why does that change the amount of paper used? Just less binding or something? I'm not sure, actually. Or maybe just, I don't know, the pressure of... Yeah, I don't think, because ultimately it's the same, isn't it? <laughs> but, I mean, if if there's less there's less hard covers, maybe? Maybe. Yeah. Mm. Or it's just having to go through the whole process six mm. times rather than three times. Um, anyway, but it's ultimately finished and published between 1954 to 55. That's a lot later than I thought. Yeah. I thought it was all 30s. No, no, he, st- so he starts, but it's ultimately later. Mm. Um, one of the best-selling books of all time, something like 150 million copies wow. sold. And then, of course, um, in 2003, BBC survey found it to be the nation's favourite book. If I bet that they had a list to choose from in that. And then, I mean, it may have been helped by the fact, of course, from 2001 to 2003, we have Peter Jackson's film trilogy, yeah. which apparently has taken something like nearly $3 billion worldwide. That's an awful lot of money. Well, and then you've got the Hobbit films as well, obviously. And now the Hobbit films as yeah. well, yes. Interestingly, Aragorn wasn't originally in Tolkien's thinking when he was writing the book. Mm. And he didn't have it all there. So apparently, initially, the character, he knew he had a character at Bree that helps Frodo, but he didn't know who he was. Yeah. So one time he thought about making him Bilbo, but disguised. But then he did keep with the idea of it being a hobbit. So for quite a while, Aragorn was actually a hobbit called Trotter. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) That is a a very lucky change, or a very wise change. And interestingly, the love story with Arwen barely appears in the book at all. Oh. It's all actually really detailed in the appendices, which he puts at the end of the books. Right. Extra details. But it's clearly significant because, as we said, it does mirror that tale between Luthien and Beren. Yeah. And whose names are on the grave of him and his wife. Mm. So clearly that's an important story. And also the idea of death and welcoming death, giving up immortality versus trying to exist forever. Yeah. Like the Ringwraiths is a key theme of the book. So actually Aragorn and Arwen is very important to Tolkien and the story. The reason he takes her out of it, essentially, is because the book needs to be centred around the hobbits. Why does it need to be centred around the hobbits? Eh? Well, because that is the way that you get into it. I mean, obviously, we've just been focusing on Aragorn, but yeah. actually, when you read the books, and obviously when you watch the films, everybody else is very serious, very portentous, they speak in grand, heroic language, whereas you've got the hobbits as this kind of little anachronism of these small, funny people that are very yeah, just English, protagonists, rural yeah. gentlemen. Yeah. And getting up to mischief. So they're the way that you get into the story yeah. and can engage okay. with it and it brings the more human quality out of the rest of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be very dry without them, that's true. Yeah. So that's why he decided that actually Arwen's story maybe would just get in the way. Mm. But it was actually quite an important one. He just decided he had to take it out. Now, a lot of people have questioned whether Lord of the Rings is an allegory. 
Oh, a bit like um, Lion the Witch and Wardrobe. Indeed, and of course, he and C.S. Lewis were friends. They were in mm. a society, the Inklings writing society. It's particularly suggested that it's an allegory for the Second World War. But uh, Tolkien had a cordial dislike for allegory. Oh. As he said, he didn't like it at all, a point he made to C.S. Lewis. <laughs> yes, I remember hearing about that. He said it only makes sense if everything is... Uh, an equivalent for everything else. So you can't have an allegory where some of it fits and some of it doesn't. It's yeah. either all in or it yeah. doesn't work at all. But, you know, a lot of people have seen certain similarities. So you've got the free peoples, the mm. allies, mm. who are fighting against Mordor and all of his allies, the Axis powers. You've got appeasers, um, sort of Vichy elements like the men and Saruman and people that are mm. going along with him. Elrond recalls how the elves once thought that all evil had been ended forever. A bit like the First World War, the war to end mm. all wars. And then you've got the ring, which you could see as being maybe like the nuclear weapon, the atomic bomb. Oh, right. The difference, though, which Tolkien points out, the crucial thing, is that in real life, there's no way that the Allies decide to destroy the ring and get the Yeah, very true. In real life, you use it. I'd inter- when you were saying that, I'd interpreted the ring as like... Uh, the aura of Nazism mm. that, that gets well, everyone yeah. going, mm. but mm. Um, yeah, maybe it's stretching. Maybe it's looking for it. Mm. And he started in thirty-seven. Yeah, exactly. As he points out, yeah. and he also points out that for him, the more relevant experience and influence was, of course, the First World War. So, as he said, by nineteen eighteen, all but one of my close friends were dead. Oh, gosh! Imagine that. And he openly acknowledged that Sam goes yeah. everywhere with Frodo was absolutely meant to be the epitome of sort of the British Tommy the sort yeah. of unflappable honest yeah, and common they're, soldier they're um, the what do they call them? the brothers brigades or the friendship brigades yeah. what it was yeah, yeah. awful um, it's also quite easy to see it, the book as being very isolated from anything else that's been written but actually if you look at other contemporaries the sort of the war age writers they also have quite similar outlooks in terms of the corruption of absolute power and all mm. this stuff. So Animal Farm is a yeah. similar sort of time. Lord of the Flies is another sort of similar one. So he's not completely in isolation, even if he's not necessarily reading yeah. and being influenced by them. Or well, when facing... or these, All these authors would have been through the horror of the First World War, or certainly the second is very fresh in the mind. Yeah. Something about the that uh, proximity to apocalypse yeah. and these dictatorships make these really, really profound statement books mm. and so something that's sometimes criticized for is the fact as we've seen with Aragorn that sometimes the goodies are just too good yeah there's no kind of like Lancelot and Arthur and you know the sort of flawed yeah greatness but then they sort of, they weren't really maybe interested in the anti-hero because they'd sort of seen yeah they needed real evils and they, were, they needed just, something whiter than white as a fan like literally in this case yeah. a fantasy to uh, yeah. escapism they're maybe not yeah they're not so interested in it um, but as we said before, we've got also the industrial influence. So when the hobbits come back from their adventures, they find the Shire has effectively been industrialised by that, Saruman. That seems so unnecessary. You had a happy ending, and you're like, oh, come on. That's bad pacing. Yeah, but exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so some people have seen, like we said with Caitlin Moran's dad and others, said that you know this is representing um, what happens to the rural idyll that he used to love in the black country that yeah. gradually gets... Yeah, just subsumed into... Subsumed and industrialised. And it's also the sense of people coming home from the war and being disappointed. And uh, coming home from the war and seeing uh, the wreckage of Coventry or something. Yeah. Huh. 
And Frodo also, we've got a, almost an element of shell shock there with somebody who comes back and he's completely changed by it. And even though it's all over and he's safe, he never really gets over. He can never adjust to being back. So that's why and he has to go with all of the ring bearers to this other land because they, they, they're the only ones that understand the experience. Mm. Mm, this has got some traction with me. <laughs> Rohan, people mm. of Rohan, often seen as being essentially the Anglo-Saxons. Right. Tolkien sort of denies this, though apparently all the king's names in their history effectively mean king, huh. except the first one is called Eol, huh. which Earl, basically. Uh. Um, key difference is, unlike the Saxons, they've got cavalry. Yes. Saxons famously don't, but maybe this is another kind of fantasy element that you imagine, oh, what if the Saxons had had Yeah. Because he points out the fact that there's no word in... English for effectively like the savannah or the prairie, like the grasslands, because we just don't have that kind of mm. territory in England. So he's sort of imagining maybe Saxons, yeah, but like? that kind of world. Well, may, William certainly would have had a tougher time of it. Exactly. And it's interesting, again, there's very clear Beowulf influence there. So um, even some of the names, so the, the hall, so that the where Theoden's court is, the capital is called Edoras which is also in Beowulf. Oh, is it? And the hall, the mm. great hall where they all hang out, is Medjuseld, which is also the name of the hall. Are you the one <laughs> they call Beowulf? <laughs> and some comparisons have even been made to the Battle of Molden. Oh, something close to our hearts. Battle in uh, 991, where the Saxons under uh, Britnoth, Britnoth fought against the Vikings and uh, let them cross the causeway yeah. so they could fight and ultimately the saxons lose and uh, if ever there was occasion for the famous quote you shall not pass <laughs> should have been then well exactly so some people have, and tolkien writes about this and he actually wrote a thing called the homecoming of um built north and um, built son so like mm. the son of Britnoth coming home and they're talking about the battle so some people see this as tolkien criticizing the sort of the vanity almost or the arrogance of Britnoth, the fact that he allows them over makes yeah. a stupid sacrifice mm. but alternatively maybe it's the values and the virtues of this self-sacrifice that he fights them even though he knows he might lose and we see this quite a lot so we've got as you say Gandalf with the you shall not pass Yeah, we've got coming out of Helm's Deep we've got going to the gates of Mordor things where they know that they're probably yeah. going to lose but they know that it's going to achieve something else or it's for something else yeah or take as many down with you as you can or exactly yeah and he likes that, the theme of committing to something even though you know you're not going to get something out of it. Because in some ways it can be seen as quite a pessimistic book in the sense that the elves are going to diminish when the ring goes. Yeah. So it's not like they preserve everything as it is. They know that actually they're going to lose out by some of this, but they commit to it anyway because it's yeah. the only thing to do. Futility of war, maybe like a, an, the over-the-top charges you would have seen in the psalm or something. Mm. Not nice. Uh, yeah, so obviously there's a lot more that could be said about mm. uh, all of the Lord of the Rings. He does write other books, other tales. We've got the Silmarillion, which is sort of earlier legends and stuff like that. But I think for day, today, I think we're done. Well, happy birthday, Sarah. Yeah, hope you enjoyed our review of Aragorn. Um, hope you've had a lovely day. Yeah. Um, and that you got lots of chocolate eggs. That's Easter. Yes. Um, Christmas presents. Um, no what's it what's it presents there we go there we go got it but this is our little uh this is our gift to you from andrew ellingson exactly and family and family 
who all say happy birthday <laughs> and so happy birthday from me and graham also me and gandalf sorry gandalf graham and uh for everybody else hope you enjoyed uh listening as well and um Tune into our regular series. Yes, and uh, let us know what you think. If you think Aragorn shouldn't have got the Rex Factor. <laughs> Any other characters in Lord of the Rings that uh, you'd love to hear Ali talking oh, about? Oh, please, guys, please. <laughs> but until next time, it's goodbye for me. Cheerio.